is the biggest threat this country has faced for decades. We're seeing the devastating impact of this invisible killer. There will come a moment when no health service in the world could possibly cope because there won't be enough ventilators, enough intensive care beds, enough doctors and nurses. That is the moment of real danger. The new variant is out of control and we need to bring it under control and this news about the new variant has been a uh, an incredibly difficult end to, frankly, an awful year. And it's important for everybody to act, essentially act like they might have the virus. And that's the way that we can control it together. The way ahead is hard. And it is still true that many lives will sadly be lost. Our advisory group on new and emerging respiratory virus threats, NERVTAG, has spent the last few days analyzing this new variant. It may be up to 70% more transmissible than the old variant, the original version of the disease. You, you might be infectious, and that's the way that we have to behave at this moment. Assume you might be infectious. Assume you might be infectious. And that's the way that we have to behave at this moment. Today, the United Kingdom's chief medical officers have advised that the country should move to alert level five, meaning that uh, if action is not taken, NHS capacity may be overwhelmed within 21 days. And it's going to spread further. And I, I must level with you, level with the, the British public, um, more families, uh, many more families, are going to lose loved ones before their time. Your colleague on SAGE, John Edmonds, has just sent me a statement saying that as far as he's concerned, this is the worst moment of the epidemic because of the extraordinary inf infectivity of this new strain. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, this is a horrible moment for sure. I to say, I'm really sorry to hear about your two relatives who died from this virus. I mean, it is a very dangerous virus uh, for many people. We're looking to move to a different regime, so as we come to the fourth step, we will change the basic tools that we have used to control human behaviour.
after reading that little line, I will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. This is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they're actually playing with. They are, in a coup they might come and fucking intimidate me and whatnot. But fuck, they do not understand what the fuck just one person like myself is capable of. They do not fucking understand. No fucking vaccine or MRA will ever flow through my fucking blood blood. Never! I will fucking die fucking fighting for my forefathers and my fucking lineage. Fuck these motherfuckers. St. Arafat Day today. It's a Friday. Uh, please, please, please consider all those donos going to uh, tech support in the back. Uh, keep the uh, coal fires burning and uh, the steam engines are rolling. Right. Uh, should be a good stream today. Um, a bit of a while in the making, but uh, I'm glad to be able to say that we've got Dr. Daniel Nagaze and we will be. Well, I titled this stream. Um, COVID vaccines and state tyranny and why the professional class froze. And um, Dan is going to give us some insights into that. So I'll do this. I'll get rid of this out the corner. Um, Dan, I think you need to unmute, sir. There, can you hear me okay? I can indeed. You might just want to tilt the camera down a little bit if it's yeah. sort of hanging off the edge of the screen um, and I will just resize my chat and yeah the headphones might be an issue because I think I can hear myself a little mm -hmm. bit in the background but um, if we have to <laughs> we'll fix it on the fly yeah, I'll close the door here let's see if that uh increases the isolation between the rooms there let's try that how's that now uh i don't hear anything right now so um if i do i'll shut my door all right all right so um as you can probably tell that uh <laughs> dan is it uh he's at the uh, chateau mccann 
uh, ensconced in um, the highest of Japanese luxury now, um, as we, <laughs> as we, uh, as we, I, I feel we're very much entering the next phases of this fight, Dan. And um, what I think, well, what I was hoping you could do, it's such a, how I say, beautiful story, illustrative. I would say story uh, um, and experience that you've had. And it, I think it provides insight into why the institutes imploded, the everyone just bucked into line and mm -hmm. um, we had happened what, what, <laughs> the last four years. So perhaps you should just remind everyone um, who you are, what you are. Um, Sounds good. Okay. Well, I'll start off like the only reason that I'm known almost worldwide or maybe worldwide already is that I was working up in Canada and there was three elderly patients who had severe COVID pneumonia and uh, I gave them Ivermectin and they recovered within 18 hours from a combination of Ivermectin, standard viral pneumonia care and hydroxychloroquine. And 24 hours after I gave them Ivermectin hydroxychloroquine and what was previously the standard of care for viral pneumonias, I was fired. All my work assignments for the rest of the year were canceled by Alberta Health Services. And a month later, I had two medical licenses restricted or canceled. So I'm no longer able to work in Canada. So I've brought this to appeal through the legal system. And again, uh, the legal system in Canada has been adversarial, uh, has been unwilling to hear that uh, my cancellation from all my work was without any grounds. All three patients survived. They were all discharged from hospital. So again, why would a doctor curing three patients, saving them from a trip to the ICU, suddenly get cancelled. It made no sense. And all the way up the administrative chain of Alberta Health Services, which is the singular health uh, authority for the province of Alberta, there was no reasonable explanation. And then, of course, a month after the fact that uh, the colleges jumped in and made sure that I was unable to practice medicine, and in the case of the BC College, which was another medical license, I had one province over to the West, they canceled my license. And the excuse they had was that my license had to be suspended because I was out of the province. Although in the previous six years, they had never suspended my license for working outside of the province. There is no such restriction. So subsequent to losing two medical licenses to the state, uh, all allegedly over this Ivermectin administration and speaking out over the issue of a, of a safe medication being outlawed uh, in Canada, then, you know, we have the issue of the mRNA uh, injection. And I was speaking out about the known dangers of mRNA, how it can be reverse transcribed to DNA, and subsequently change the DNA of anyone who gets an mRNA injection. This, this knowledge has been there for 40, 50 years. People have known about reverse transcriptase since the 1970s. 
and endogenous reverse transcriptase, that's reverse transcriptase that the body produces itself, they've known that about that for over 30 years. So it's known that anything that's mRNA can be changed into DNA within the body itself naturally, and it can change the DNA. And when I was working in um, labs at McGill while I was doing my undergraduate bachelor's degree, you know, any genetic material that we handled, we handled with extreme care. Because anytime you're altering genes, especially not deliberately altering genes, like you know, an accidental exposure to DNA or RNA, that could potentially be cancerous. And so we exercised extreme caution when dealing with any DNA modifying agents, DNA or RNA or any of the, the chemicals involved with manipulating DNA and RNA. So that was in the 1990s at McGill. And lo and behold, just over 25 years later, all of a sudden we're taking RNA and injecting it into people. When in the labs at McGill, you used to have to wear two gloves, double glove, before you handled any genetic material because you didn't want to be doing, you know, a fluorescent gene experiment on a mouse and then have your the genes in your hand all of a sudden glowing in the dark. That was uh, that was one of the precautions. You had to wear a face mask, respirator, work under uh, negative pressure hood. This is all standard procedure in the 1990s, because it was known the dangers of altering the DNA. And yeah, so 30 years later, not even 30 years later, all that's gone out the window and people are injecting pregnant women and children with DNA altering substances. And the fact that I spoke out about this in December of 2021 was the cause for the British Columbia Medical Licensing Authority, that's the BC College of Physicians and Surgeons, initiate a disciplinary investigation into me after I had lost my BC license. So, you know, this is one of those, those aspects of the laws. Even though I no longer have a medical license, the BC College of Physicians and Surgeons is still going through with a disciplinary hearing against me. And, you know, that gave me a reason to look carefully into the actual laws in British Columbia. And the British Columbia Healthcare Act says that failure to attend a disciplinary hearing carries the weight of a contempt of court charge with equal force to a contempt of court against the BC Supreme Court. So, you know, to put short that is even though I no longer have a medical license, I have to attend and be subject to a disciplinary hearing according to British Columbia law. Right? I, I, and I if I to, don't I just attend stop a there, disciplinary cause... hearing, they can come after me probably with fines and maybe even jail time for contempt of court. Can I, can I just, can, you can hear me, dude? Yeah. 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 I, I just want to ask, um, how... On what legal basis are they saying that it, it holds the same penalty as a contempt of the... The Supreme Court? Yeah, That's yeah. That's the law. That's the British Columbia Health Care Act. 
that was passed sometime in the 80s, I think, if I'm correct. But you can look it up on, on the, the website for the province of British Columbia. They have all their laws, the Health Care Act, the Police Act, the Prison Act, the you know, Traffic Act. All the laws are listed there. So they're not you know, laws, though. The College of Physicians and Surgeons is still trying to harass me over matters of scientific fact years after I spoke out about them. Mm, yeah. And, um, well, this there is eloquently stated why the professional class imploded. Um, these, mm -hmm. these threats were um, baked into their legislation, and most people are going to be too timid or frightened to step across that compliance line and um you know i'm i and many others are more than grateful that uh you did um what do you what do you see as like the future with respect to just medicine in general as a consequence of what's happened do you, do you think there's going to be any fallout well if you want to get a read on possible futures for the practice of medicine um it's important to look at a few aspects that have happened just in my lifetime in medicine um after i lost my job shortly after i was contacted by um a, a tech uh analyst at alberta health services and back in 2016 the senior tech staff at Alberta Health Services, because they control the computer system for the entire province of Alberta with respect to hospitals, they were sent to a medical AI conference uh, for virtual care run by Dassault Engineering. So Dassault, for those who don't know, is a French military contractor. And they have their military divisions, they have their aerospace divisions, and they also have a medical artificial intelligence division devoted solely to artificial, artificial intelligence virtual care. So that is a really important clue. So what happened in Canada during the pandemic and the COVID scare is they convinced the public, the health users, because it's in Canada, it's a public health system where the government pays your health care bills. They convinced the entire public that they could get health care via a video feed. So they would wear a Fitbit or some sort of health monitoring device that could monitor their heart rate, their oxygen, their blood pressure. They could talk to a virtual you know, an image of a doctor on a Zoom call, and by telling that doctor their symptoms and the information from the electronic devices they wear, their wearables, the doctor would be able to come up with a reasonable health care plan, prescribe the correct medications, and send the patient on their way. Now, where it gets very interesting with the AI aspect is that once people have been trained, the public has been trained, that in order to get health care, all they have to do is strap themselves up with medical, their own electronic medical devices, and talk to a computer screen, 
Then all they have to do is switch the real doctor talking to you from a computer screen with a virtual AI generated image. Just how good are AI algorithms and data sets? In about 2000, so I graduated medical school in 2004. In 2003, Harvard had an AI health um, algorithm, and it was just a text box. Uh, it was a very simple web page. It was programmed just in HTML, and they wanted our us medical students to use that algorithm and test it out. So what we would do is we would see a patient, collect the symptoms, collect their findings, what the lung sounded like, how high was their fever. We'd type that into this web page, and it would come up with a differential diagnosis, the most likely cause of the illness, the second most, third most, fourth most, fifth most. And it would also come up with a diagnostic plan, how to tell the difference between the five possibilities of illness through blood tests, x-rays, and further testing. So at that time, and this is circa 2003, this was run by Harvard Medical School, and I was accessing it through Dalhousie Medical School, which is a few hundred kilometers north of Harvard, that's in Canada. It was, the system itself was as accurate as a senior medical resident. So what's a senior medical resident? A senior medical resident is a doctor in training who's one year away from becoming a full staff person. So they finished their medical school, they finished enough years of internship that they're one, went one year away from being a full medical doctor. So this system was as accurate as a senior medical resident in 2003. They didn't say what exact type of medical resident because the levels of knowledge and qualification differ between specialties. But I suspect what they were angling at was the a level of diagnostic accuracy equivalent to a senior internal medicine resident. So that's a four-year residency in Canada. So four years of medical school, three out of four years of internship training, that's how accurate the system was in 2003. The only things that this computer algorithm missed were things that required decades of experience and know-how practicing as a full-time doctor. The only entity in 2003 that could out-diagnose this Harvard algorithm was a staff physician. The only entity that could out-diagnose the computer. And that was over 20 years ago. Yeah. Now, speed for today, what is the, once people find out how ignorant their doctors were, right, how ignorant the doctors who treated them, who told them, oh, you have to get this vaccine, uh, it's safe and effective, but none of these doctors read the literature showing the side effects, none of these doctors applied their knowledge of how mRNA works, and put two and two together by knowing how mRNA works immediately. If you're working from the perspective of patient care, the first thing you think about are the pitfalls. What if it makes the wrong protein? What if the protein that the mRNA makes causes the immune system to attack the, you know, your own body, 
right? What if that mRNA gets reverse transcribed and starts altering DNA? These are all things that a thinking physician should say, hey, you know, you're otherwise a healthy person. You probably shouldn't take this medical experiment because the risks far outweigh the benefits. The only subset of patients that this type of experiment should even be considered is someone who might have a potential benefit from taking the risk of changing their DNA and producing spike proteins, putting them at risk of autoimmune disease, the immune system attacking itself, is people who are very elderly and very sick to begin with. So the risk of getting a severe COVID pneumonia and imminent death from COVID pneumonia outweighs the risk of having a DNA change and developing cancer, right? That risk might only be worth considering if the patient's 80 years old, where the likelihood of living till 100 is very low. And so the risk of taking the risk of a cancerous medication or a cancerous vaccine outweighs the risk of dying within a week from a COVID pneumonia. Mm. And here's where the, the bridge to ivermectin becomes very, very interesting. If ivermectin was widely used for the initial strains of, of COVID-19 pneumonia that spread around the world, the mortality from COVID pneumonia is almost zero. And when the risk is almost zero, there is no benefit from taking another risk of an unknown, untested injection. So even for an 80-year-old or a 90-year-old, I would still recommend they don't take the injection because ivermectin is a far safer treatment that reduces the risk of dying from a COVID pneumonia essentially to zero. So, so once the... this information gets out to the public, I suspect there will be an incredible public backlash against live human being physicians. Mm. Why didn't you warn us? I'm getting you know, unusual rashes. I've been diagnosed with cancer. I have inflammatory disease ever since I took the vaccine. Why didn't you stop me from taking that injection? there is going to be a huge, incredibly angry, incredibly, um, it might even be violent, backlash against the entire medical system and every single doctor, nurse, hospital administrator, hospital, college, governor across the world. There will be a huge hatred of the medical industry and everyone involved in it. And here's where the trick comes in. So no one can trust their doctor. People hate their doctor because their doctor essentially made them sick by advising they take this medical experiment. So then here comes the solution, the problem reaction solution, um, modus operandi. Well, you can't trust your doctor anymore. Your doctor is only human. He can only read so much medical literature but guess what? Joe Public, Jane Public, we have a solution to your human doctor who always makes mistakes, who's stupid, who doesn't apply his knowledge for your health, 
we have an AI that stays up 24 hours a day. It can read hundreds of medical journals per second. It knows far more than your doctor could ever possibly know. And this AI is awake 24 hours a day. And if you wear your Fitbit, that AI monitors you 24 hours a day. It monitors you 24 hours a day. It knows how well you're sleeping. It knows what your heart rate is. You know, and you add a couple of things. Maybe you wear a special um, electrode helmet to go along with your Fitbit. Then the AI knows how much pain you're experiencing every second of the day, every second that you're asleep, how often you turn over. And then the sales pitch is this. Are you going to trust a human doctor who can only see you either in the emergency department or, you know, during office hours, a human doctor who just quickly listens to your heart and lungs, takes your blood pressure and makes a decision? Or are you going to trust an AI that knows more than your doctor, that monitors you every second of your life? And guess what? If you sign up for the AI doctor instead of the human doctor that makes mistakes, we'll have uh, Amazon drone delivery of a custom designer set of pharmaceutical pills and vitamins, custom tailored to your body, custom tailored to your exact state of existence that the AI knows about through your Fitbit and all your body monitoring devices. And it'll be delivered to your front door once a week by drone. Custom medications that only you can take. Custom medications for your health. Mm. Yep. Um. <laughs> and if the AI can't prolong your life, well, then certainly there was some. There was nothing that could have cured you. It was a natural death. Mm. If you want to go max dystopian, that's the max dystopian. That is the limit of that that arc of history. Right? Well, now, I, I think it can get a little more dystopian, but um, mm -hmm. we'll get into that in, in a little bit. But you know, at, at at the moment, I would I would say it almost seems like a certainty that that would be the direction that they would would take. Um, there's, mm -hmm. I, I can remember back ah, when I were a wee lad, you know, you used to be able to phone up the doctor and um, you'd get an appointment within a day. You know, it would often depend on mm -hmm. um, your availability as well. But generally, mm -hmm. there was a doctor to see you at your practitioner. And um, I watched in the UK as that slowly began to change. And they began with the, well, the, the, once cell phones had started to become ubiquitous, you started to get things like the NHS helpline, what have you, where literally people would sit there and take a list of symptoms and um, get a computer decision about what you should and shouldn't do. And for sure, that was the sort of proto systems being um, yeah, just filtered into the, the, the masses. 
And well, you actually see that in Canada in real life because there used to be plenty of doctors, just like you said in the UK. When I was younger, up to maybe about 20 years ago, you could you could just phone up a doctor's office and get an appointment the same day. And then slowly, the because it's a public health care system, they were able, not through the free market, through the government, to restrict the number of doctors. So the doctors that were working were pressured to work harder, see patients quicker, right? Because you had to get through a certain number of patients a day because the pay was so low for each patient. They restricted the number of new doctors being allowed into practice. They cut back on the medical schools. So that artificial scarcity that comes from a free healthcare system where everyone has to be on the government healthcare plan. And even if you had the money to see a doctor on your own, you're not allowed to. Mm. You're stuck in the public healthcare system. That created my entire time in practice. There's always been a, a shortage in the emergency department because if people are having emergencies, they can't see their regular doctor in a clinic, they go to the emergency department. So emergency departments throughout my entire career has been overloaded and it's only been getting worse. So by creating that tension, the public is now fearful that when they need a doctor, they have to go to the emergency department and the emergency departments in Canada have six, sometimes eight hour wait times. Every year in every emergency department in Canada, every tertiary care, large emergency department has at least one or two deaths in the waiting room before the patient ever sees a doctor. And that's well hidden. Now, we're not talking about deaths after they see the doctor and they just got sicker and sicker while in the emergency department. After four hours, they finally got to see a doctor when the nurse in the waiting room noticed a patient falling out of their chair. After they see the doctor, they get thrown into the, the ICU. They try to get resuscitated and then they die you know, either later that day or a couple hours later when if they had been seen immediately, they could, their life could have been saved. Those aren't counted as waiting room deaths. Those are just unfortunate deaths after the patient got to see the doctor. But the deaths before people even get to see a doctor is incredible. Every large emergency department in Canada has that. And it, it's not front page news, but this is something that has escalated in severity that everyone in the, par in the public is aware of it. So now you have a scarcity, the public health care system, the government payer system is restricting and sabotaging live human doctors to the point where now the public will be demanding change. And the change that the people demand, well, they'll get something they didn't quite expect, which is a computer managing their care. Mm -hmm. Well... Right? And then so the question is, is this really what's going on? Well, the clue here is in the telecommunication systems that I've observed in Canada. So I've had cell phones all my life. Okay, My cell phone on a 4G network is plenty fast. I can watch a high definition movie on my phone and download one at the same time 
I have no problems with the data rate. Keep talking right? a second, so dude. Just keep talking. Currently, oh. can you hear me? Oh. Sorry, we're just going to wait till Kevin comes back. Uh, but the frequencies that are being currently are more than sufficient. So why the installation of all these new um, upgraded antenna arrays all over Canada? The data rates that higher frequencies above 5, 10, 20 gigahertz are completely unnecessary. Yeah, here, it's, uh, we're going to go. It's too squeaky. It's causing, uh, uh, okay. We have a hardware upgrade here. <laughs> Sorry if it's less comfortable. That's all right. So what I was what, what I was mentioning is that installing the incredible amounts of new infrastructure, the wireless infrastructure, antennas that are 60, 100, 150 gigahertz frequency capable, that's completely unnecessary for your internet surfing, entertainment viewing, downloading needs. The only reason you would need such massive, massive data rates is if you were doing something like I had just described, continuous by the millisecond, continuous body monitoring, not just monitoring your heart, heartbeat, blood pressure, um, monitoring your skin temperature, whether or not you're anxious, the sweat glands in, from your Fitbit, you know, are you sweating? Are you nervous? What's your state of mind? If, are you wearing ear, wireless earbud headphones, right? I mean, you can make a crude EEG to monitor your brain waves through these wireless headphones, mm -hmm. right? That's... I mean, the technology is there. This is, this is, you know, we do EEGs. We use, we still use, you know, metal electrodes in, in the hospital. But, you know, anything that's metal, you can also substitute with a wireless version. So now you have the infrastructure to handle rates of data that are easily 100, maybe even 1,000-fold greater data rates than you currently have on your cell phone. What are you going to do with that data streaming capability? Of course, you're going to monitor people's state of mind in real time through their wireless Apple, whatever, earbuds. You're going to monitor their blood pressure in real time. You're going to monitor their heart rate in real time. And if so they're this, carrying this their cell phone, they can monitor their movements in real time. Mm. And it's it's I think it's the movement actually which they would, would really want to be um, honing in on because you know there's the amount of feature requirements to pull from neural activity of just you know you, you've seen like the gaming EEG um, headsets etc. It's um it's very crude um, in terms of diagnostics you say it, it kind of understands event related potentials i think what they're really looking for is what what i was honing in on which is um the state of mind 
often gets reflected in outward expressions of behavior. And as you sort of move towards, um, you know, a lot of it's driven by anxiety, but like OCD type behaviors, um, all, all these things are, it's very difficult to discriminate from just like a cortical EEG, mm-hmm. exactly what the brain is, is doing in that moment. But once you've coupled that with, oh, you can see what the person is, is doing, right? How, how are they um, expressing that behavior? Then you get a very um, rich picture of what the, what the person is doing and what the, what the potential probability space is that they would um, move into. Um, and, you know, then, you know, you've got that coupled with um, criminal records, um, mm. psychiatric evaluations through schools. All those metrics suddenly become uh, a, a very, very, oh, I would say dangerous. <laughs> I don't know what else to call that. Um, well, have you ever seen the, the Japanese anime series Psychopaths? Mm, I don't know. To, I'm not no, into to anime briefly that sum up that sci-fi dystopia series, uh, everyone's state of mental health is monitored in real time, mm. right? And if they feel like somebody's going psycho, you know, their 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 um, psychic state of being is being unwell. The police come to uh, do an evaluation. And if that person's state of mind escalates, they're more anxious, they have more muscle tremors or whatever the AI video cameras and and systems determine, then the police can do anything from immobilize the suspect or the potential future criminal, or they can eliminate. Mm. And that's the basis of that entire. But the, the scary thing is the infrastructure for that. I see it with my own eyes being built in every city in Canada, yeah. right? We're not talking about regular se- cell phone antennas. We're talking about phased array antennas mm. that are capable of beam forming and localizing mm. individual cell phone users. And Which I mean, kind of, it kind of it, explains why they pushed 5G conspiracy at this rollout. Mm-hmm. Because they want people to go down those stupid um, avenues as they build out this, you know, full spectrum surveillance um, network, and mm-hmm. by doing that, by making people talk about graphene nanobots and self-assembling in their blood, they've essentially um, that they, they corralled people away from you know where where do you want information to get in order to somehow perhaps pump the brakes a little bit you have to get it into the uh the minds of the you know the, the overton normal classes i'm trying public. to yeah. <laughs> no yeah, no no you have to you have to stay within the overton window of the public because mm. as soon as you you talk about any information that's beyond what the public's able to comprehend they will automatically reject it so, you know, one of the dangers that I see, and this is from a biochemistry perspective, is the the recent push over the past few years to push people to an insect-based diet. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh yeah, you you can eat you can eat grasshoppers, bugs and mealworms. But the thing is, um 
a lot of the hard-shelled insects that they're pulverizing into a powder, and this is going to be your new protein-enhanced grasshopper powder, is insect shells are made of, you know, certain you know, species of insects. They have a lot of chitin mm. in their shell. Now, chitin, if you take it out of the biologic realm and into the electronics realm, you can use chitin as a dielectric. What's a dielectric? Well, a dielectric is the material you put in between two sheets of a capacitor to increase the capacitance of the capacitor. So by having a diet high in dielectrics, which is chitin, right? Mm. You can actually make someone's body more, um, a better receiver of any electromagnetic frequency because your, your body is full of chitin dielectric because you've been eating nothing but bug protein and crushed up bug shells. Why well, is that dangerous? The, the response the electronic... to that would be, well, you know, it's protein's going to get broken down into constituent amino acids and it's not. The, the chitin is pretty digestion resistant, right? Mm. Like you take an insect shell, you throw it in some stomach acid, the stomach acid's not going to do much, mm. right? And then the digestive enzymes in the duodenum, they don't know what the hell to do with the chitin. But if it's pulverized small enough, it does get endocytosed by the cells, you know, particularly in the gut and uh, gut-associated lymphoid tissue, like you know, mm. the little macrophages will, will take up, you know, um, sub-dust-sized and dust-sized particles of chitin and it'll endocytose them it'll probably try and digest it with a peroxisome or digestive enzyme but just because of the molecular stability of chitin it's not going to do a very effective job so then now you're dealt with now all the macrophages all the lymphoid tissues they've endocytosed I, I, I would imagine that's quite chitin. a uh, uh, it's quite a um high amyloid scoring peptide Right. Oh, yeah. Mm. Mm. And... Right. So, and it's a dielectric, mm. which means if you thought you were electrosensitive because you can, you know, feel the heat on your ear when you hold your cell phone to your head, well, that's going to be amplified multiple folds. That's going to be multiple times stronger if you have a diet high in dielectric substances like insect shells. Mm. They're assholes for doing this. <laughs> it's just like. I'm I'm watching this unfurl, and I'm well. You know, as we've been speaking a lot, but um, I I'm not holding out a lot of hope right now with respect to their benign intentions. <laughs> Put it that way. I think mm -hmm. uh, I think um, all this, like pe people right now, are projecting into the future. You know, possible. Um, worst case, you know, where it could be leading to. And I, I think, oh, we might already be there, right? The trains reached the station already and um, we're, we're now having to explore that environment in which they've dropped us, basically. And um, the, um, you know, the phrase turnkey totalitarianism, um, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a very useful one for describing what it is that they can do. And um, so, you know, I am, my, my concern right now is that, oh, wow, they've just um, mass exposed everyone to a prion catalyzer. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, the data's coming out that you, once, once someone's 
infected with prions, essentially they're shedding what would be considered one of the most toxic um, peptides mm-hmm. known to science right now. And then that gives them carte blanche to do whatever, what we saw with respect to lockdowns, etc., mm-hmm. um, would be small, small in comparison to the powers and force that they would apply if they can turn around and demonstrate, oh, you've been infected with prion. You, mm-hmm. you, you're essentially a walking biohazard now. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, more, more. I don't think biohazard quite actually covers mm-hmm. what what that would, um, the scope of what that would mean, and it it allows them to put sort of real strict cordon sanitaires around um, those that they would diagnose in this state, and I I think there's a fr- from the molecular biology because that's that's some of the better evidence that we can work from rather than um, trying to infer, um, well, taking messy epidemiological data and Mm -hmm. trying to infer stuff from it. I think it's better to sort of look at this, um, forensic scale data that we can look at, which is the, um, and we, we, we seem to be good at that. I don't want anyone to lose hope. I'm no, just no, no, painting no. a picture of what they've done, mm. the amount of scientific research and um, planning that they've done into a lot of things. But the key here is this entire system, let's say lockdowns, quarantine centers for you know people who've been exposed to virus or people who've been injected with mRNA that turns them into spike protein factories and spike proteins have been found to you know cause be preongenic and cause dementias the entire system operates on obedience if every police officer every official anyone everyone just decided you know what I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to guard the sanitarium for people who took vaccines and now are being demented. I'm not going to arrest people for exposing the truth. I'm not going to, I'm just not going to obey any part of a system that creates totalitarianism. If everyone just walked away from government control, the entire system collapses. It doesn't matter how many 5G towers they put up with, you know, 150 megahertz, no, 150 gigahertz capability. It doesn't matter how much crap they put in your food to make you constantly in a mental state that makes you susceptible to, you know, being manipulated through electronic means. They don't, it doesn't matter what they poison you with. If everyone just stops obeying, then the system collapses. And I'll give you well, a that, very simple example to... here. That's why they this have is to really reduce cool. numbers, bro. That's that. I think, I think that's why we have to think very seriously about the, you know, the kill mechanism that potentially they've used. They've got to denude numbers. They've got to do it in such a way as they get enough traction, so that when enough people do wake up, and the simple fact is, us talking on Rumble is going to have limited reach anyway because mm-hmm. they, they've gamed us in. To their, their mm-hmm. calculations. So, so it's a psychological operation. The counterattack 
that you and me are doing right now, the one that they fear, is that we might wake people up and people might decide to take the law into their own hands and start acting like human beings, not obedient robots doing whatever atrocity their boss is telling them to do, right? Their biggest fear is people might start to act like genuine, humane, thinking individuals faster than they can eliminate us, right? And how simple is it? I'll tell you how simple it is. This is something that I wouldn't have been believed it unless I knew the farmer. In Alberta, which is one of the big grain producing regions of Canada, they use glyphosate pest herbicides by the ton. And here's the reason why. Say a harv, uh, farmer decides, you know what, uh, I want to save some money this year. I'm going to harvest my wheat in a week, and I'm going to take it to the grain silos to sell, right? And the farmers usually have a, a sale contract, X number of tons uh, delivered on a certain month to a certain grain silo. Guess what the wheat companies in Canada do at the grain silos? They Genetic check the wheat. They check the wheat for normal things like protein content, quality of the wheat. They also check for glyphosate. If the wheat harvest does not have enough glyphosate pesticide, the grain silo rejects the entire shipment. You could have high quality grain, excellent grain size, high protein content, the perfect harvest. But if it doesn't have enough pesticide residue, the silo will refuse to store the grain and ship it. Jesus. This is the Cargill. This is the, this is the, the industrial, the grain industrial pro system, the, the grain industrial industry of Canada. So what do farmers do? Because they don't want their hard work from the past summer growing the grain to get rejected at the very last minute, the day before their harvest, they spray their entire crop <laughs> with glyphosate. There's no limit to how what is too high. If a grain shipment has too much glyphosate, the grain elevators still take the wheat. They'd be like, good job, farmer. Your, your, your harvest of grain has enough herbicide. Wow. That's right? bananas. But if there isn't enough, if, or if there's no herbicide, the grain silo will reject the shipment. Holy shit. And they provide all sorts of excuses. Well, it's like we need the grain to have a certain level of herbicide residue all over the grain uh, just to spend, prevent spoilage within the silo. Mm. Well, they have grain dryers, right? They, they examine the moisture content before they put the grain in the silo. Before glyphosate ever existed or why it was widely used, People stored grain grain and grain silos for an entire season without glyphosate. As long as the, the moisture content of the grain was low enough, it keeps perfectly well, doesn't go moldy. It stores perfectly. Mm. But that's the excuse that's currently handed out to the, the, the farmers. is like, oh, if your grain doesn't have enough glyphosate, it might spoil the entire silo even if the moisture content is, you know, ridiculously low. 
because the, the farmer put the grain through a grain dryer. They have grain dryers that dry the grain if it happens to be a high moisture day that they do the harvest, right? If it's a, a dry day that they do the harvest, they don't have to use the grain dryer at all because there's almost no moisture content in the wheat. But if every farmer decided, you know what? Screw your your glyphosate minimum levels. So someone's saying in the chat that you know what we're not giving you any wheat. Someone's saying in the chat that glyphosate content. Canada has banned glyphosate not long ago. Um, I don't know. Um, let's let's see when they did that. Did Canada ban? Glyphosate. I know the Japanese restrict its use very heavily. They use mm -hmm. it on roadsides, but it's not allowed on food. Um, Canada's never banned glyphosate. Um, Canola for the oil. Um, wheat, Roundup Ready soy, Roundup Ready wheat, Roundup Ready canola. Those are all heavily used. So it's banned, but as you said, it's still allowed for use on crops such as wheat, soybeans, and corn. Um, and this affects non-essential uses of glyphosate. Glyphosate, sorry. So it's still commonly used in agriculture. Oh yeah. So there you go, lick spills. They've uh, they've told you they've banned it, but uh, still. Yeah, uh, no, you're not allowed to use it on weeds on your lawn. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. But yeah. it's used by the buckets. So this is the funny thing about nature is a lot of the farmers, they spend like a large portion of their expenses is just buying the glyphosate. Mm -hmm. And it stopped working. Right. The, the, the weeds that the glyphosate were supposed to kill over the past 20 years, they've just adapted. So the farmers are spending more and more money buying more and more glyphosate because every weed that's in their in their in their field has now grown resistant. Mm. Right? And the the Monsantos, the seed companies, they have to develop strains of wheat, soy, and corn that are resistant to the higher doses of glyphosate because the original strain that was supposed to be resistant to the glyphosate toxin mm. would be killed because they're using so much glyphosate. Mm. Yep. But then, you know, the, the pushback comes, well, you know, it, it allows for cheap food at a mass population level and um, you... You wanna, you don't want us managing populations in a um, draconian fashion. We need to be able to um, use glyphosate, whatever, whatever um, nonsense they they come up with. And uh. well, I mean, but if every farmer disobeyed, if the whole world said, you know what, not going to eat wheat anymore. Right? Or I'm only going to shop at the bakery that makes makes their bread from amaranth or spelt or one of the ancient non-GMO grains. The whole system collapses. Mm. That, that's just how it works. If everyone disobeys and says, you know what, that's not good for my neighbor, 
and I don't care if it makes me an extra buck in the short term, I'm not going to kill my neighbor for a buck. I'm not going to give my neighbor cancer for a dollar per loaf of bread. If everyone just said, you know what, what's good for my neighbor is also good for me and not the 50 cents extra profit, their system collapses. Yeah, that's a, it's a hard, hard space to move into because that the, the problem that I see here is that, um, the, what, what you're talking about, which is, well, mm -hmm. toxicity into food supplies, um, mm -hmm. gets very much into the environmentalist, um, well, arena, let's say. And, yeah. And that, it's one of those things, again, that's these sticks to beat the population down with, which is, well, you can't... Well, it, it has been used in, in the past, but I think that's also... Uh, a deep misunderstanding of nature, <laughs> right? The problem with the environmentalist movement is they keep trying to frame nature as uh, weak. Mm. At the end of the day, I'll tell you one truth. Nature always wins. Mm. <laughs> always. Whether it's tsunamis, earthquakes, thousand years into the future, Nature doesn't care whether or not we maintained our, our local living space well enough to survive or whether we go extinct. Nature has seen species come and go from this planet thousands of times. So the reason for, I mean, for lack of a better word, the reason for being an environmentalist is that it's about your own survival. The mountain survives regardless. No matter how much poison you put into the water or whatever, the fish will adapt, the algae will adapt, the trees will adapt, and they'll still be there after you've poisoned yourself to death. Mm. It doesn't matter to nature. Nature's always there. Nature will always win. So then the question is, well, what's the point of maintaining the... the whatever the the moment by moment the yearly health the decade span health of the river well because if you poison the river then you're going to be poisoned fish which is going to give you cancer and you're going to kill yourself right so there is a reason for being um, intelligent aware not being a, a total thug when it comes to chemicals and and destroying your own environment nature will always adapt and fix whatever problem you created, right? That, that's, that's an absolute. Nature will always fix the problem that we create. It just might not be within our lifetime and we might be extinct by the time nature fixes it. Mm. So that's the point of, of not um, being evil toward your own environment, which sustains your own life. Right? Don't destroy the house you're living in. Someone's saying, is he ignorant or lying about farms? Um, I, I don't know what that referring to. Um, if you could explain um, why 
why you think glyphosate should be used at a mass scale on farms. Um, perhaps um, they... I don't think it should be used at all. <laughs> mm. But this is from working in rural Alberta for seven years, meeting farmers, talking to farmers, chit-chatting with farmers, and finding out what really goes on. Mm. They're like, yeah, I got no choice but to dump this glyphosate. Yeah, yeah, I read that glyphosate causes lymphoma, non-Hodgkin's lymphomas, but, you know, I got to dump it on my crops anyway, otherwise I go bankrupt. Because the grain, the grain towers are going to reject my my harvest this year if it doesn't have enough glyphosate residue on it. I mean, that's that's something I haven't heard before. And um... no, you're not going to hear it unless you've lived and worked with farmers, and they're not going to tell you the first time they meet you. So, if you want grain yields to be halved, just stop using pesticides. Um, well, glyphosate isn't a pesticide so much. As a herbicide. It's a herbicide. Mm -hmm. um, pesticides, my understanding is that they, um, well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like you hear about what's, you know, bee colony collapse and if it's a consequence of uh, those um, nicotinamide-based pesticides, um, pesticides yeah, probably. that they've used. Um, and, you know, there's also, um, high frequency microwave tends to disturb bees a lot too. Mm. Just, just one of those things. It's not good if you hold a microwave oven to your head. It's not good for bees in high doses either. Mm. It might just be frequency dependent as well. Um, just with the recent, you know, advances in above five gigahertz frequency use on cell phone towers for higher data rates i mean yeah you might have finally reached the frequency where it affects bees brains mm. i mean you can have colony collapse you can have all sorts of problems you know this is all really unknown and it might be that you know just the same way that microwave ovens for heating water are tuned to 2.45 gigahertz one frequency might be extremely dangerous and cause cancer and you know a few hundred megahertz off of that one deadly frequency is perfectly fine mm. you can hold that to the side of your head all day and you're not going to get uh acoustic neuroma type of cancer mm. i just don't know 10 percent change in frequency can go from being uh deadly to perfectly benign mm. Now, who did all these experiments? Well, you know, if you read far enough back, I think a lot of the U.S. Navy experiments on electronic, um, what are particularly harmful frequencies, what are the effect of different gigahertz range frequencies, they did all those, those experiments in the 1960s. So if you are an avid enough reader on CIA.gov, um, you can dig up what frequencies they, they have revealed so far. Um, and for what purposes you can use those specific frequencies. Mm, yeah. And, well, for me, the uh, what I think is the bigger issue is uh, around um, farming is uh, the, well, th this is where you get into the problem of uh, genetically modified crops, right? And mm -hmm. the technology that they were breeding, like Terminator, seeds that type of mm -hmm. that type of tech and then it it forces out 
it destroys the diversity within a sort of I don't know, community where everyone's mm -hmm. forced to use exactly the same uh, seed as the, the same uh, pesticides, etc. And um, it's it, it's that encroachment of the corporate sphere into um, you know what is a very fundamental piece of our existence, right? Our ability to um, farm and you know provide provide enough calories because that's what it comes down to, basically, right? Is how you mm -hmm. can provide calories over and sustain them over periods where you know there may be shortages and we're you know the the concern right now in my mind is how much they're going to engineer in shortage such that they can um amplify the the damage that is being done and wrought right now and mm -hmm. you're it, it, it's covering every every dimension to our existence and i'm i'm watching i'm watching european governments mm -hmm. start making the claim or, or start pushing the idea of hey we're going to be doing uh some conscription soon for you to go and uh fight very specifically russians in this instance and so I'll tell you how simple the solution is. It's just a question of getting everyone in the right frame of mind that, you know, the solution can work. Mm. If every infantry soldier just decided one day, it's like, oh, thanks for the rifle. Mm. I'm not going to shoot another guy, even if he's Russian. Mm. In fact, commander, if you try to court-martial me, for not shooting that ration, not you know, se sending that missile, not doing that, I'll shoot you. Mm. How about that? If everyone at the lowest level, the soldier, just said, hey, you know what? Thanks for the tank. I'm not going to run over that Russian village. Mm. If everyone just did that at once, it's game over. The yeah, military the, the, control you, you're system. Dealing with, you're dealing with these really sophisticated um mind well you can call them mind control i guess which is mm -hmm. the, the the use of um targeted propaganda and mm -hmm. um the ability to um influences people or influence people's choices around mm -hmm. complex complex topics and mm -hmm. um you, you know it's hilarious to me that they would want to be tapping up um and and leaning on the idea of nationalism now as mm -hmm. they've done anything and everything to uh, deconstruct that all through my lifetime and mm -hmm. i i'm well, i'm just i'm almost intrigued to see how that how that um falls out and you know how does it how does it how does the population take to suddenly being you know shut shunted back for, i don't know what when the last time the uk had national service but i want to say like i want to say it ended in the 60s at least yeah but that might be pushing it but um i can't i can't see the uk or canada for example reinstituting national service or drafts 
becoming military drafts becoming um feasible mechanisms to get people into combat readiness and you know there's mm -hmm. th th there was a lot of military literature that was just uh, understood around um conscript armies like the kill ratio per bullet for example is very mm -hmm. low because mm -hmm. the motivation isn't there to um drill into the individual mm -hmm. um your mission orientated your only concern is your buddy to the left and right of you and you go in and kill in that aspect and they changed military indoctrination or training i should say um mm -hmm. to uh, reflect that and mm -hmm. um as a consequence they were able to bring the kill ratio up much higher per bullet mm -hmm. or or um service member and so here's one way they did it and this i learned um when i went to visit las vegas and instead of doing the you know the sheeple gambling thing when i was uh, teaching at this conference in vegas on the afternoon off me and uh, a doctor friend we went to the hoover dam incredible piece of engineering yeah, it's, it's massive beyond anything you can imagine but the context in which that in that massive dam was built was the context was extreme poverty after the great market crash of the 1920s. So everyone was without a job, everyone was starving. And starving and without a job, they had no choice but to take on high-risk work building this massive dam, right? And these were workers who were so poor, they had to build their own climbing rigging harnesses, their own climbing chairs, to lay concrete and to drill in pythons to secure, you know, the concrete for this massive, massive structure. And I said, wow. So people in extreme poverty facing death by starvation are willing to work, take on life-threatening jobs. Now, what also happened in the 1920s? The American military, it expanded exponentially people who would never think of being a soldier and going to die for some war here or there or wherever or dying for their country people who didn't even think about that is like why would i want to die for a country i want to live now all of a sudden for economics facing starvation they had a choice you know take that one in a hundred chance of dying by joining the military or starve if you join the military, you got a 99 in 100 chance of coming back home because it was peacetime in the 1920s, right? The big war had ended. Everyone was like, oh, World War I was so horrible. No one's ever going to do that again, right? Right. <laughs> so in the 1920s, people were poor, but it was a time of peace. And people had this belief that, well, it's safe to join the army now because there's not going to be another war. And so they joined the army, they got their paycheck, they fed their families. And what happened next? World War II. They took the job. They obeyed their commander. And for the ones that survived, they got to be a national hero. Didn't have to work after, you know, once they're a vet, they get their veterans pension. They don't have to work after that. They're, they're, 
food security has been secured till they die. They might come back with PTSD or whatever, um, a head full of memories of slaughtering people who were just like them but wearing a different flag, but they get to eat for the rest of their lives. Mm. And this is the interesting thing is people when they're young don't look at the big picture for their own lives, their, the lives of others, or the future in general. They, they have a very limited perspective. So to a young person who's got lots of energy, lots of motivation, it's like, yeah, all I have to do is kill a few people, then I'd be a national hero. I don't have to worry about working again. I'll always get a, a military pension. I'm set for life, right? But they don't know the psychological, the mental, the spiritual price you pay for killing for money. Right. And then the trick is, okay, well, some people, they might value their souls above and beyond anything monetary or material. How do we convince people who have some sort of principles that they need to go and kill? Oh, let's come up with something like pride, pride in your nation, pride in whatever, national pride. You're doing this for freedom. You're, you're killing for freedom. You're killing for to build your nation. You're killing for the future of your grandchildren so that they can live freely, right? So you, you, you trick, they trick people with these principles. Fight for this. All you have to do is kill that other person, but you're doing it for an honorable cause. You're doing it for freedom. You're doing it for your children. Mm. Well, they're, 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 they're literally pulling that right now, dude. In... Yeah, they're pulling that right now. Right. And if everyone woke up and is like, you know what? But people the aren't. Food That's actually the doesn't matter. My soul matters. People I don't want to carry someone else's murder on my conscience during the last minute that I have alive in this world. That at the moment of death, I, you know, that the, the, the memory of shooting and killing another human being just because he was wearing a different flag, right? Do you really want to carry that just so that, well, you could eat what you wanted? Everyone dies. I'm, I'm an emergency doctor. That's unavoidable. Everyone dies. Sooner or later, everyone dies. That's a fact of life. And the things you did in your life, you carry that. That's immaterial, the memories you've, you have of your life. Well, unless the prions get you, bro. And then... Yeah, well, then, <laughs> then your mind has been wiped, and maybe that's one of their goals. It's like, oh, if people realize the meaning of their life, that the things that they did, the memories they carry, are things that they carry with them beyond their material bodies, they might not do evil things to each other, so we need to make people stupid, confused, poison their minds with soft metals like lead and aluminum, make people so ignorant that they can't contemplate the higher existence of their own selves. Yep. yep. And the, the dumbing down continues. And mm -hmm. I'm, you know, in my lifetime, you you can sort of see 
that playing out. And again, I think that that plays into, again, why we saw this um, collapse that we did over the last um, few years. And the, uh, well, what, what, what you would think would be, I don't know, I don't know how long it takes to, in, in the medical field to be like, uh, I have to presume just like ethics is just part of the curriculum, right? They've got to, they've got to be taught, you know, teaching, teaching it mm -hmm. to a very, at least a high standard in order for you to, you know, take the Hippocratic oath and your, um, the, what it means to be an actual, um, clinician in this instance. Um, but this, this seems to have been sort of denuded in, in, like I say, in my lifetime, I've seen it in the mm -hmm. academic field where the, uh, the push was towards, uh, you've got to be like it was the the thinking was the market can solve this right so that's mm -hmm. how you got into this publish or perish type mentality mm -hmm. um, you've got to be pumping out um article after article you've got to be or you know you were saying that the you've got to be seeing more and more patients and so mm -hmm. the the space for thinking about the the interrelationships gets smaller and smaller and the and the perverse incentives are fed in so that people, you know, that once they get into that position, uh, they've got that doctor's office, they've got the um, professorship so they can sit in their, um, their chair and peruse internet, pretend they're doing research. Um, mm -hmm. the, um, that, that has been whittled down and essentially they've, they've made people more autumn, automaton like i would say mm -hmm. in in their thinking and i'm not i'm not sure how how to um at, at a mass scale turn that around oh it's it's a choice right if people choose to be an automaton why is that well there a lot of times is they don't want to get in trouble or they want the paycheck so the the most fundamental and this is where when people say this is a spiritual battle, it's actually absolutely correct. Yeah, if that, people that's... realize that money is not something you can take with you, material body is not something you can take with you, then the importance of material in the greater context of your existence is much diminished. Mm. So then what's the point of your existence if it's not to collect material? Well, it's discovery, it's truth, it's, it's, it's the memories you carry with you of, of doing things that bring joy to your soul. So if being an automaton, is that really, you know, it, let's say I was talking to an imaginary conversation with a lab automaton. I'd say, you know, do you really enjoy this? Do you just really enjoy just following the recipe or you know, do you really want to pursue your own avenue in research? What what makes you happy at the end of the day, right? You're, you're going to live either way. And at the end of the, your life, you're going to die either way, <laughs> right? It's your choice. Do you want to live creating, discovering new things? Or do you want to just, you know, be an automaton and follow the orders? 
right? And if that person makes a choice, you know, I want to be, I want to use my mind to the fullest. I want to do what I can do with my body in this material lifetime to the fullest. I'm not going to be a robot. Then, yeah, but then, then you then get that's into a the more fulfilling life, right? If people into... live like that, I'd say this whole system would collapse. Yeah, I, I, um, I don't think it can because so you you dealing with the um moral hazard around mm-hmm. um c- well competition and um gratification that, that mm-hmm. occurs and we've we've moved so far away or we've been able to make instant gratification something really um powerful especially mm-hmm. in this automated um age and with computing the way the way that it is and like i said i don't want to i don't want to be a luddite i don't want to but i do think mm-hmm. we, we have to um that there needs to be a serious reflection on what the aims are of our institutes for example why why are you doing what you're doing and and you know i'm one of the principles that i hold is that um you shouldn't be putting students into debt right mm-hmm. if if someone has cut the grade to get into a university position mm-hmm. then there's no way that you should be um putting them into what is essentially a lifetime's worth of debt to uh, it's financial servitude mm-mm. you have to do this <laughs> you have to follow this research program or else yeah, it's a type of slavery. Yeah, mm. I agree. And the, the, those that don't are caught with what's essentially just usury trap, mm-hmm. right? The, the cost of, well, the cost of living, maybe you might just cover it, but the, you know, you want those little extras, right? You've got kids and you want to treat them to something. And so mm-hmm. you tend to, you, you then go and borrow and then you get, then the banks have you basically and um this this um it's why it's so eye-opening for me to just come to japan and see and and again you could argue that that's a consequence of their um great recession whatever the economic um collapse Mm -hmm. that they had in the 90s but um you know the fact that oh suddenly all the um the minimal savings that i'd managed to scrape together (laughs) <laughs> it was literally like forty thousand dollars a sort of lifetime of um doing you know academic work postdocs and what have you but suddenly i could i could buy the the house that we're sitting in for that amount of money i was like bang um it just it freed the um well i don't know i i didn't realize how much i'd been swindled yeah yeah swindled is is one way of putting it but how much how much of my cognitive time was spent just and you know that sort of baseline anxiety level if just Mm -hmm. oh i'm i've got to do this because otherwise i don't i don't do this and suddenly uh, and and then it just sort of clicked and and i'm at this point now where um i've seen the institutions become so just corrupt i guess you could just say i don't want my children to be forced into 
that system. Mm -hmm. I don't want them to be, I don't want to be saying to my children, you have to, you have to play that game and play the, and, and it, it's essentially a game with loaded dice of mm -hmm. um, getting debt and um, mortgages, etc., for uh, essentially a, a game system that's being done to um, generate wealth for the the upper class. Someone else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, they don't. I would. I would. I don't know. In my mind, I'm just like I say. The, my, the default is well. You know, we're first generation immigrants here anyway, and so um, you know, the I'm defaulting to what was my growing up, which was well. I was. I was. Um, the parents of, or, or the children of first generation immigrants. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, we, everything was small in terms of living spaces and um, mm -hmm. what we were, what we were doing. And, um, the, but the family unit was, I say, we were more robust actually than the, the families around us. And, you know, I, I remember when, Divorce was it was a rarity, right? You didn't mm -hmm. never, and then you saw it more and more begin to begin to creep in, and a lot of a lot of that they they did with oh, the, the social engineering in the UK during the eighties, seventies, eighties. But you know, as they broke unions, they offshored manufacturing, and uh, they did they did everything. Everything's been trialed in the UK first, and then rolled out to the the rest of the uh, colonies now and the um yeah well you know what, what's the solution to that and it sounds it, it, it does sound easy but not everyone can live in japan right so mm -hmm. what what do you do in terms of okay you're you're in these hyper um skewed environments that they've turned particularly western countries in where it's all um usury based system magic money mortgages mm -hmm. flipping mortgages getting on properties etc how, how do you how do you control for that because you're always going to have that percentage of the population that um tends towards that dark triad side mm -hmm. which will then game the system and essentially sees more and more controls I, I i don't have an answer in how to um constrain that except for well the amount of power they have depends on the amount to which people are obedient to money. Mm -hmm. If let's say all of a sudden people woke up tomorrow and it's like, you know what? I'm not going to live for money. They literally lose all control within a day. Mm. Well, which is right? why, they, and, why they're aiming to change, change the money systems. Right. And this mm -hmm. is why I don't think you should um, discount the, the concerns around, um, digital currencies and um, mm -hmm. programmable money, right? And mm -hmm. so they have to. And again, it's it's a multi-vectored attack on individuals' sovereignty, the ability of families to, um, well, survive and thrive. So, what completely defeats a digital money, um, identity-locked money? You know, money that's locked to your your biometrics, for example, barter and trade. Mm. Yeah, right, that's the system they're rolling out. It's tough to do. 
on a on a anything other than a micro scale right right so anything other than a micro scale so this is this is the actual beauty of of cryptography and not only the cryptocurrency but the fact that all the major cryptocurrencies their source code is on github you can make your own personal coin if you wanted to using the exact same you know sh256 hash exact same you know security as as any of the major currencies but this is the things what people should do is set up their own local trading currency so let's say the town we're in i'm not going to say what town we're in the town we're in hundred thousand people just for that town it's a local currency someone's harvesting a bunch of rice right you trade the rice for let's say whatever 10 town credits that, you know, that you trade, um, you have those, you know, 10 town credits that you earned by, you know, building someone's garage. And you have that local system of barter trade and you boil cryptocurrency into what it actually is. It's a ledger. It's a ledger of what people's needs are and a ledger of what people, what resources people have to trade for someone else's needs. And then you make just a two column ledger, needs and resources. And oh, then it's just a question matching... to, uh, um, what's his face? From from each to their needs, oh, I forget the same, but it's essentially, essentially sort of Marxist doctrine from each, to the, from each of their abilities to each of their needs. And so, right. so, so then you have a direct, person-to-person -person interaction you say oh this person has this resource i need this resource i have this resource in order to trade and then you can do three four or five way trades all within a community of 100 000s because everyone can see what everyone else's resources are they don't know who they are but they know that there is an individual in their town that has this resource to offer whether it's labor or goods mm -hmm. right and then the transaction feed to maintain the network, if you wanted a completely off-grid network running by mesh networks from like you know, router to router between each house in a local area, you just set up a LAN, a local area network. If you don't want wireless, fine, just do it with the blue you know, Ethernet cable. Literally, that's all it is. And the only reason you're running crypto algorithms is to make sure that no individual on that network can alter the network and change the ledger without agreement that, yes, they traded 10 hours of labor for, you know, uh, whatever, 100 kilos of, of, of rice, for example. Mm. When the trade occurs, if the trade is successful, then that's agreed upon, then the ledger changes. There's 10 less kilos of rice and 10 less hours of labor available in this or that person's account. It's as simple as that. Yeah, but I, I think that I think they're probably heading for this already, right? I think that's where they're they're moving towards. And yeah, no, they're heading towards that. But if every locality has their own decentralized system that can operate independently of the central bank, mm. central bank loses all control. Mm. Yeah, they're, they're not giving up control anytime right. soon so, but everyone has the tools already to take that control away it's all on github mm. i hate to say it 
if I learned, if I knew how to code, I'd, I'd just take that source code and made, add my own modifications and just do my own thing. Mm. It'd just take me a couple of years to learn to code at, at the level I'd need to, to make my own personal coin. But this is stuff that every local community can do on their own, either online offline with a wireless mesh network or hardwired network the community can decide and if a community can be self-sufficient and trade within itself for all the needs and and goods for survival then that is that level of independence on a community to community scale allows that community to ignore any kind of totalitarian Let's say carbon tax. That's a big thing in Canada. Well, if transactions are occurring within a community or between communities outside of a central currency, it can't be taxed by the federal government. Hey, um, there's <laughs> another thing that sure you said death for taxes, bro. <laughs> Those are a surety. Um, and but you know we're we're in a in, in a they may have been solutions or the ideas that you're espousing right now may have been mm -hmm. solutions sort of a hundred years ago where you know there was more um interdependency on your neighbors and the community but i th i mm -hmm. think that we've just so we've crossed an event horizon right now anyway because of the um the interconnectedness that's required for modern industry mm -hmm. and you you know how do you how do you scale back yet maintain the trajectory of um i don't want to say but i, I would like it to be enlightenment right mm -hmm. and progress but i'm not i'm not sure i'm not sure i could i could describe it in that way but in well, put it this way, um, we've seen more people move away from um, absolute poverty, it could be argued, mm -hmm. particularly in, like I say, in my lifetime, right? And um, and that's that's been because of the, you could say that that's been one of the um, benefits from globalization and markets, free markets etc and it's allowed mm -hmm. sort of trade to occur and you know those i'm not against those types of things what i'm against is where it's being leveraged <clears throat> in in a way to um force compliance that's that's where i'm uh I'm drawing in life but um how how do we sort of maintain technical progress or do we say oh this this is uh enough and yeah you can <laughs> take a break dude um, just... Well, here, here's a thought to just uh, before my two minute break. Yeah. Um, yeah, you we have solved a lot of material poverty in this mm. day and age, mm. but perhaps it has come at the expense of spiritual poverty. Mm. Yeah, um, that's something something to think about, and you know, just on my musings, you know, where I th I think there's a there's a component to the evolutionary dynamics of the brain and mind that has baked into it the spiritual component. Now, what f part fills that 
that part of the brain. Um, I'm kind of the opinion that it's plastic and dependent upon where you grow up in the world. Um, that's why we see differences with respect to faiths, etc. But I do think it's sort of it's you could take it as axiomatic that you need to have that component in order to allow the full trajectory of neural development that you would hope to achieve as a human. The problem becomes when you um, one gets out of balance with uh, let's let's say. Um, the rational adaptive needs of the body and mind as well and you know how how to maintain harmony in that state um I, I again i'm not sure i have answers and again all i can do is look at the um what's emergent around just in just in the last take the take the large language models man i i've i mean i'm using them as a at all and i'm just I'm amazed at essentially like my skill set and that academic skill set has gone. Right? I guess the skill is like you need to be able to query those models in a, in a manner that's, um, you know, perhaps a, a, a someone who hasn't had experience in that domain would um, wouldn't know what wouldn't know what to do with respect to the, the questions, but. Um, you know, you can query these things and they're, man, they're bang on accurate. To, it's too, I, I don't know where these jobs are that um, people think that they're going to be getting in the future. The only thing that I can, I, the only thing that I can see having um, economic utility right now, because all the programming jobs have gone, essentially the, the professional classes with respect to i don't know the um lawyers um doctors whatever pilots um all those sort of uh higher tier jobs that made up the professional classes have essentially been wiped out by um these uh these computational tools that have emerged now you know, can you entirely remove the human from the loop? I'm not sure. I think uh, I think the human is somewhat necessary, but the the amount of humans that you're going to need is um, uh, orders of magnitude smaller than the aspirational jobs that we would hold out to people growing up. Right? You you need to become a, a Whatever, a doctor, a, a lawyer, whatever, because you're gonna you're gonna be you're gonna get financial independence, and you're gonna have the um, a, a better quality of life. And um, un unless there are n completely new spaces, terms of existence. Uh, if you have a completely if you have a completely new term of existence, then then the old system of get a job, get a career, it doesn't matter. Now, what is that new term of existence? That's a good question. Well, it should be whatever you choose, but then um, they're making it such that you can't choose that that way. I mean, may, maybe someone could just be content, mm -hmm. like parenting and having a family. That's rich and rewarding 
in and of mm-hmm. itself, right? That's that's right. a um out of all the things that I've done in my life, that's the thing that I've enjoyed the most. Even with all its ups and downs and stresses, etc., it's the most rewarding thing. But mm-hmm. if if the corporate overstructure has essentially made it that you can't mm-hmm. choose to do that, and that's that's what's coming down the the pipeline at us is that um, you can't even choose to do the most basic of human activities Mm -hmm. without interference or or perhaps even being able to do the the basics, which is spit out um, some progeny that carry Mm -hmm. your your genome, your your heritage, right? And all that comes with it. And so... uh, you know, we were talking about the collapse in Sweden's birth rates, mm-hmm. right? So if that's if that's a consistent measure now, it's not going to be a one-off blip. Just mm-hmm. um, then people can't aren't even able to do mm-hmm. that. Then what 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 are the um, where, where where do they aim on the sort of life spectrum? That you can you can say that's attainable through um, easily manageable steps, because trying to point to spiritual nirvanic type enlightenment <laughs> for mm-hmm. people, it's very very hard because in a sense you have to have a some life experience in order mm-hmm. to be able to understand. Well, you've got to have some uh, bad with the good, otherwise good doesn't have any metric by which to mm-hmm. um you know, quantify it and, and to be tested yeah 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 and so and so in this in this landscape it points it points very strongly that um oh the decision's already been made that they're gonna they're they're making the move to denude the populations down in a drastic way and in a, a uh, form where it, it's hard to it's hard for most people one to comprehend but the the fact that it's happening with well they you they the, the they're using this emergence of chronic disease and that's going to mm-hmm. manifest in a, a heterogeneous way across large populations that people will say, wow, you know, what, how can you point to causality in, in that instance? And um, Yeah, from a, well, it has to be from a chemistry, microbiological and histological hard evidence point of view. It's like somebody took the vaccine or was living in close quarters with somebody who had taken the vaccine and was constantly shedding on them for Sorry, I just uh, hit the soundboard whilst uh, you were talking for the last couple of seconds, so no one could hear what you were saying for, I don't know, uh, 10 seconds, 20 seconds. Yeah, so the way to prove that somebody's dementia or confusion, you know, is the result of mRNA vaccine or high spike protein exposure, let's say they work at a hospital, but they never took the mRNA injection, Mm -hmm. but for eight hours a day, you know, 40 hours a week, they're exposed to high levels of spike protein by working in a hospital. You know, you do a, you, you do a biopsy, you do a tissue biopsy, um, 
know, in, in certain cases of severe cases, you can do a brain biopsy, right? If you find a lesion in someone's brain, you can do a burr hole and do a needle biopsy and then you prove it on a cellular level. Like this is what a normal neuron, this is what normal neural tissue looks like. And this is what, what, what the patient currently has with their, their, you know, dementia or their confusion. Um, you clearly see abnormal neurons consistent with people who've been exposed to high levels of spike proteins, right? And then that's the proof that the, of causality. And, you know, my hope is that once enough awareness comes about that people realize that the current system, economic, societal, um, you know, society in general is detrimental to to their health, detrimental to their future, detrimental to raising children. Once people realize that, that my hope is that people find the courage and the willpower to make their own system, right? So it's not in, you know, in the same way not to look at cryptocurrency as just another angle that the central powers are going to use to control everyone. It's like, no, well, if you have the source code, for creating your own cryptocurrency, you know, take the initiative and, and make a physical community that just uses that, that local currency completely independent. You know, if you're worried about your food supply, everyone's dumping glyphosate in your wheat, then start growing amaranth or, you know, um, hard red winter wheat, right? Start growing boutique grains in your own backyard. You know, some of the species of grains out there are, are incredibly winter hardy. Like they'll grow in, in, in very cold climates and they'll grow like anything. Spelt, amaranth. Uh, I mean, I used to know half a dozen different wheat varieties that were all pesticide-free, GMO-free, and they'll grow in low light in in a country where six months of the year it's winter. Right? There there are species of, of food plants that will do incredible things if you grow them. They just don't have the biggest quantity of yield, but what quantity you get is much more nutritious and it'll grow in harsh conditions. Right. And there's there's certain varieties of corn that'll grow with next to no irrigation. You know, it won't be the biggest ear of corn, but it'll certainly be nutritious and it doesn't require massive volumes of water like the current industrial corn production in the U.S. Again, all these things, you know, if, if people take the time and initiative to look, you can be self-sufficient in your local climate zone, wherever it is, North America, Japan, Asia, with everything that nature has already provided you with you know, whatever, mm. billions of years of evolution, uh, there's all sorts of things that, that can sustain you. And nature doesn't charge. <laughs> nature doesn't charge anything for licensing fees for, you know, a boutique <laughs> GMO soy or anything. They don't charge you anything. You just save the seeds from the previous harvest and it'll grow again the next harvest. Mm. There's no tax on sunlight yet yeah <laughs> there's no tax on co2 that the plants use to grow the carbon that you eat <laughs> yeah and I, I, like i say i'm th like that, that those are 
goals that people should be aiming for right now. Mm -hmm. The um, the question, I, I guess, the question on people's minds right now is if what I'm putting out is is that a uh, how should we say is, is that has that happened? Has has the has the um, shot been fired? In this instance, I guess shots mm -hmm. for for many, and it's um, and so how to I, um so from a practical perspective, right? If if what I if the super prion hypothesis is true, right? Mm -hmm. And um, how do, how do we cope with what would be essentially a mass breakdown? In people's minds at this point, because I don't, I don't see mm. many people being able to digest that type of information readily. Now, people who listen regularly, you know, they tune in because I'm, I do talk about it, and so I'm not, I'm not concerned about the couple of thousand people that watch a stream regularly. That's that's mm. not my concern. Um, the concern would be well at a mass level how do you and I, I suppose the answer has already been given to us which is they've they've made a, a point of saying that the, the drugs for prion disorders how to how to constrain the effects mm -hmm. of prions are going to be this growth market and they're they're already thinking in these terms it doesn't it doesn't matter where i look down that um I don't see an area where I can't see them having already pre-positioned pieces to um, enforce where they want to go. And so, um, you know, imagine if I've watched that, watched that horrible clip, right, of that dude who was chased around that tank by that, I don't know, it was like a hand-sized drone, right? And mm -hmm. it, it's sort of, I don't know, we were sort of debating about how much plastic explosive that was carrying to cause that much bang. Uh, well, you know, the, the thing I, I got from looking at that is, um, you know, there are certain predators in the animal world that they can't see you unless you're running away from them. Mm. They have a low... Um, visual analysis capability of static images when something's moving they can recognize it as prey and that when i saw that video i was like that particular kill drone couldn't recognize the guy who was in camouflage when he was hiding underneath the the turret right mm. and and the drone was actually moving further backwards by probably by algorithms if it can't detect a target it has to move back to a wider perspective to search the target. And it's only when the guy started running away that the drone followed the motion and, and did that. Mm. So, you know, what now that that information's out there, anyone who happens to be in an unfortunate situation, socially or economically, that they're a soldier, they know that if they encounter, you know, an automated weapon system, like a flying drone or something, they have to stay as still as possible. And if they can, without making too much motion, create motion in 
another area, like throwing, tossing a rock somewhere else, it might cause that automated weapon system to be distracted, go to the area where there was motion, where you threw a stick or a stone, and then you just go hide underneath the tank. I don't know, right? Mm. Right. And the other thing is, um, though it looks to me just from a current technology perspective, those types of automated weapon systems are energy limited. That is, you know, they have a certain amount of fly time. So it can buzz around searching for you for about an hour, but then it'll run out of batteries. Right? Yeah, but that, then, then you just... You have to send another one. Or, or little nuclear batteries. And then downtime. Yeah, there was, a, there was that one um, theoretical Russian weapon that the U.S. military also looked into. I think this was in, in the 50s or 60s. It was to use a um, ramjet engine, but the fuel would just be a bare rod of, um, what was it, hot uranium or hot plutonium, right? Mm. And because it was constantly hot, it's an unshielded rod of radioactive metal, it would constantly be heating. So then the ramjet would, uh, would run as long as the metal was hot. Right? You just, it just had to be accelerated up to speed. The intake air is cold, gets heated up by the hot uranium, and then the exhaust is greater in volume than the intake, so it's forward propulsion. And that type of a cruise missile, the infinite cruise missile, could fly around for decades. As long as that rod of metal was hot, the ramjet would keep operating. And if you attach to a targeting system, that whatever that cruise missile would just circle the globe over and over again until it received orders to drop in on what whatever particular city it was destined to and that if i remember correctly even made it into a an issue of uh popular science ma magazine this was maybe in the 50s or 60s when they were trying to drum up the scare of the uh, the russian or the communist empire in russia and they said oh this is a doomsday weapon if that if if communist russia released a hundred of these nuclear powered cruise missiles it could bring instant death on you know at the hands of just a single radio signal right mm. Um, what was the other doomsday weapon? Oh, yeah, the Russians were going to dump a bunch of, um, like, multi-megaton uh, depth charges all along the east coast of the U.S., just on the international side of, 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 the, of the coastal shelf. Mm. And these would just be huge megatons. And the purpose is not to to blow up with a direct thermal blast. It was to lay so many depth charges and put them all on a particular radio frequency trigger that they would all blow up in a synchronized fashion and create an artificial tsunami that would swamp Boston, New York, and the entire eastern seaboard of the US, just bury it with a giant tsunami created by a string of, mm. of basically sleeper nuclear weapons on the in in international water sitting at the bottom of the ocean that was another doomsday weapon but yeah i mean if people can imagine something it doesn't matter if it's their lifetime or not people will eventually create you know really terrible things because people have the imagination to do so mm.
that's just uh yeah human that's, nature. it's the it's the how how do you how do you constrain the tendency towards that dark triad component of the mind <laughs> in order in order to um and you know there's there's an argument for that you need it evolutionarily because um otherwise it, you're just going to be the the Eloy in the whatever was it hg wells time machine right that that's what that's from right where they're just getting you know they're, they're it's all idyllic and then um they're just conditioned to turn up at the cave entrance and then get taken in by the, <laughs> the underground dwelling um monsters mm -hmm. cannibal monsters and um i'm you know i'm i don't want to be naive in the uh, the approaches and solutions right now and so which is why i'm sort of making this um, if no one else is bloody well going to check that spike protein in the brain for prion activity, I guess I've got to do it, right? No, no one else seems willing to mm -hmm. um, step on that particular or throw themselves and in that know, particular grade. From that perspective, if if we're going to win this chess game, right? And uh, let's say they're, they're, they're thinking dozens of moves ahead mm. on this chessboard. They're, they're looking at at us from a psychological perspective, scientific perspective, you know, every aspect, uh, every move they've gamed out in advance, maybe even with, with the aid of an AI. So we have to think far in advance. So if we can find, um, you know, supplements, foods, um, or chemicals that will reverse or or uh, prevent prion-type damages in people's brains. Another aspect we, we should look into is to make sure that those potential cures are as decentralized as possible when it comes to supply. It's something people can grow in their own backyard or, or manufacture with minimal infrastructure, mm -hmm. such that we have you know, hundreds of thousands of localities throughout the globe that are all capable of independently manufacturing the cure to spike protein dementia for example or spike protein prion disease is it eating a lot of natto everyone can make natto it's not that difficult right it's just fermented soybeans um is it eating lots of seaweed wakame right as long as you're close to an ocean you can find seaweed Right? Are those two natural foods um, protective or curative? I don't know, but we can test it out. Mm. You know, ginkgo leaves. You know, it's a it's a tree here in Japan, but you know, it can grow, grow in many climates worldwide. Ginkgo, even before this whole thing happened, was known to be um, helpful for students studying. Like when I was in university and I needed to cram for an exam at McGill. You know, I started taking ginkgo and I noticed my ability to concentrate, usually if I'm reading like chemistry or, or micro, um, cell biology, my concentration lasts maybe about five minutes, especially for organic chemistry and biochemistry. It's very tedious, tough reading. Yeah. Um, and after about five minutes, I have to take a break. It's like my, my neurons run out of energy, right? So I have to take a break, then I can read for another five minutes. After taking ginkgo bilo uh, biloba, 
you know, consistently three times a day for a week, all of a sudden I was noticing I was concentrating on that textbook and I could read it for 10, 15 minutes before my mind tired and then I had to take a break, right? So it, it tripled my concentration and it was just one supplement. Is that like neurologic enhancing supplement? Is that, can, al can that also prevent or repair prion damage in the brain? I don't know. But we can figure it out, right? We can and try. It's a I don't enough. think that's that's the situation we find ourselves in right now, and mm -hmm. I can't put it past them. Just looking at, it doesn't matter where I look. Um, I just see this malevolent force trying mm -hmm. to, yeah, you know, force force their aims and agendas and, um. Well, Dandelions. This is this is something. So, I used to come to Japan every two to three years to visit relatives or just go on vacation. And this was maybe eight nine years ago. Um, dandelion tea was the thing in every supermarket, every convenience store. You could find the two liter jugs of dandelion tea. It was called Tanpopo Cha. It was everywhere. This time, I come to Japan and I'm and I ask, you know, convenience store super, you know, supermarkets, do you have tanpopo cha? And they're like, no, what's that? And I'm like, it's dandelion tea. It was just like a few years ago. It wasn't even ten years ago that you used to carry this on every shelf, and every second advertisement on television was for tanpopo cha. Like, what what's going what's going on? This used to be like the common thing. And they're like, no, you have to go to a specialty tea store now for dandelion tea. Well, guess what? Dandelion tea is strongly antiviral, really strongly antiviral. Mm. And it's like, how does a product that was heavily advertised on every store shelf less than a decade ago completely disappear from people's consciousnesses in Japan? Um, you know what, dude? I, I'm looking at my sakombucha uh, bottle, and I see there's like a little, a little flower down there. I wonder if that's uh... tanpopocha. Well, you know, I'll, I'll look up the characters and I'll tell you if that's tanpopocha. Hmm. But it was impossible to find in Tokyo. Uh, that's a Rimo question. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then well, that's the other thing is, you know. Dandelions grow everywhere, mm. right? If someone had done a study like really early on in this COVID, it's like, well, you know, if you eat a dozen dandelion flowers a day, do you completely block COVID-19 pneumonia virus particles? We don't know. No one ever looked into that. No, actually, there, there was a study um, very oh, early was. on. Yeah, just yeah. saying that dandelion... Um, could be uh, preventative. I, I remember it very clearly right now, and you know that's something um, you do you do see it regularly in Japan, which is you'll get a dandelion, uh, the flower. You you get it yeah. in your in your on your food, and um, I don't know. I eat them. Doesn't taste yeah. much, but um, it's it's there in the diet here. And uh, oh, someone even put a link. Look, there's 
the um you know yeah, again, they should make dandelion sushi a thing i mean it grows everywhere <laughs> it's nutritious it's antiviral it's like you know maybe you should stop wearing masks and just have dandelion sushi three times a day i don't know yeah, there is common dandelion efficiently blocks the interaction between ace2 cell surface receptor and uh SARS-CoV-2 protein, and um, yeah, Rimo wants to join in. I'll, I'll send an invite for Rimo. Here, I'll put the link in the chat for you. And uh, do that, do that, do that, and we'll, we'll ask we'll ask Rimo about dandelion tea in in Japan um, if it's uh, available. Let me just pull this. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, I guess, I guess for people listening, um, it's not, um, there are people trying uh, to, to find uh, solutions to what they've, what has been done and mm -hmm. um, to figure out ways. Like I say, the in ingenuity of the, um, I don't know, especially the young sort of computationally minded in sort of mm -hmm. thinking out things like mesh networks and um, that type of technology. You look. You may have to take a hit with respect to um, mm -hmm. the amount of HD goislop you're going to consume via the internet. Um, but you know, what's what do you want to do? Um, what's your what's your what choice are you going to make? And you know, that choice drills down into very fundamental areas of what it means to to be conscious. And are you going to keep seeding? sovereignty to these megacorps that want to um well they want everything whilst giving you the 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 scraps from the table and the um you know there are there are enough right now still who um can see what's going i've still got memories right you know i've like half of my life was lived before the internet was a thing right and so mm -hmm. I, I i've got a very stark contrast between uh, you know how how things used to be and um how they are um now and you know this is why i think there was such a determined effort to scrub out the aged in this last four years, right? You know, people... mm, anyone who had memory of mm -hmm. a different time. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. 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 And the, and so the, the young wouldn't know any different, right? Like my, my kids just sort of take it as axiomatic that yeah, there's Roblox, right? Roblox and <laughs> they don't mm -hmm. understand the, the corporate structure behind what it is that they're engaged in right now. Mm -hmm. And, um, I hope, I hope that some of me will rub off onto them, <laughs> that they'll, mm -hmm. they'll be suspicious in this instance. And, um, Rimo said she needs five minutes. Um, 
She needs to do her hair, probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the so you know, let's let's get back to a bit more sort of basics, which is you know, there's mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of contention right now around, um, you know, was COVID real? Right? Was there a real agent deployed in this instance? I mean, I I take the view that it was. Oh, I, I, mm-hmm. It can be classed as a bioweapon. Um, it's mm-hmm. a product of, um, well, at uh, 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 best, the consequence of them thinking, well, we need to find the solution to every possible um, biowarfare agent. And so just essentially infinite resources were poured into that space post 9-11. And mm-hmm. at best, we've had like a, um, I don't know, like a Chernobyl type, react uh catastrophe Um, well that's the thing the biggest problem for any biological weapon is nature and evolution itself Mm. right because let's say they engineer something that's very deadly um if it's a biologic agent that is capable of self-replication killing its host will eliminate itself Mm. so you know the evolutionary pressure to be more contagious and less deadly is is very strong particularly the the more um the deadlier the agent starts off with the the deadlier the agent the faster it will evolve to be non-deadly hello Hello. big boy (laughs) come on in why does he just go to his room because we're well, streaming, big boy. In the other room. <laughs> here, here, at least there's two chairs. You can pull up the squeaky chair. <laughs> yeah, we're well, talking about your future. You should probably mm. come, come what, sit here. Why, why do you, what do you want my future to be? Well, what do you want your future to be? That's the most important question. Yes, teacher. Right? What do you, what do you want your future to be? Do you, do you want, well, no, no, but do you want your future to be controlled by robots and AI, or do you want to make your own decisions? My own decisions. Okay. All right. That's a good start. That's like a good start. Well, yeah. Like, well done, big boy. Like uh, how I had to do my uh, own test without my teacher's help. Right. Uh, it, it was pretty hard without my teacher. But that that's good. That difficulty will help you, big boy. So. Okay. Um. I, I, I think... hope I get a high school. Sorry. I hope I get a high school because I also did a, a science test, two tests uh, with uh, only my my help, no one else. Oh. Excellent. Let's ask you a difficult question. What kind of a world do you want to live in? Do you want to live in a digital world where you know everything's like on a screen or computer? Or do you want to live in a world like, you know, yesterday when we were playing around outside, you know, jumping off of dirt and... A place where I don't need to spend that much money. Okay. Okay. Let's pretend that you didn't have to worry about money. What's more interesting, like a Roblox world, or let's say that virtual reality headset where you get to play that game where you pretend to be a cashier? Do you like that kind of a world better, or do you want, would you like a real world, like actually going to the store and working as a cashier with real people? 
What's going to be more fun for you? Uh, just this world because you know you can just get virtual reality. Yeah, so virtual reality is fun, but that's not the world you want to live in. You'd want to live in the real world. Then. Yeah, I know. I mm-hmm. said that. Okay. I that's could, a good. Good. That's good. You, you could just play a VR headset. Yeah. Well, maybe the old man is rubbing off on him, but you know, I'm I'm the one giving him VR headsets, and. Uh... Well, so there, there's there's two approaches. Um, you can try and prevent people from having access to something as a way from to stop them from, you know, living in that virtual world, or you can let them play with it and have enough of it and be like, you know what? Yeah, that was fun for about a couple of hours and I'm going to go outside now. <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so there's, there's two approaches. Um, Someone's got a tab open. Yeah, you can right. try and. Oh, hold on, hold on. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, that's better. Mm-hmm. Hi, Rima. Hi. How are you? Good, good, good. I, I was I was listening in and I was like, oh my God. So mm. Can I jump into the. So it's not that it. No hem pecking. Oh. No hem pecking. <laughs> no, 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 my God. No, I, I know that uh, Dr. Nagase is doing a great job for me, so I don't have to worry about you anymore. That's great. Uh, <laughs> stop smoking. <laughs> stop smoking. Leave me alone. He isn't smoking. Also, I'm going to go into his room. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. You're those cute kids. Mm. Uh, so, um, so I think yeah, what yeah. it is, <laughs> you were so cute. Uh, so, the about not only Tampawasa, but it, Japan is like a really chasing after like any boo kind of country. So, uh, sorry, I didn't catch that. They're chasing after they, any boom. Like they they make up like trend. Oh right, like, okay, okay. Like you, like one year you see everybody wearing white coat in the winter, and next year you don't see any. Mm. You know, so one time I came back to Japan and like see everybody wearing like black, um, you know, covering their face and the arms in the middle of this really hot summer. And I thought, oh my God. Burkas. That's a good idea. Put the women <laughs> thought, in burkas. That's what I said. <laughs> I thought Japanese became like a Muslim. Like mm. what happened? Like they converted. And mm. that was just because they wanted to, to maintain their white skin underneath, you know? Mm-mm-mm. So, um, yeah, like, so Tampopoja is this one of the, so there is a time Ginkgo by, by Loba became a huge boom, like maybe two, three decades ago. Mm. And like, everybody had it. I still, like, you can still buy them, but um, Tampopoja, yes, uh, you can get it through Amazon still. Um, but anything new, that, especially anything that would um, enhance health for elderly population, Nowadays, Japanese population, I think nearly like 45% or so are above 65 years old. Mm. And, you know, and because of the population gathered there and what they, so there is a saying that it, you spend the money to get unhealthy up to 2030s. Mm. And then <laughs> you, you pay money to like recover the health you lost during mm-hmm. that time mm-hmm. afterward, right? So... Um, yeah, so like, so 
I don't think there are some some thing that it um they prevented it to get it in Japan during the COVID, like they because they promoted it not to go outside. Uh, nobody was out, like nobody was going to gym. Like I think up to a year ago, I had to wear a mask in a gym. <laughs> so, yeah, it's I don't know. It, uh, uh, <laughs> Okay, I I thought I couldn't hear anything from Daniel, and then it just he's just playing <laughs> just... with <laughs> <laughs> the kid. Okay, okay, <laughs> yeah. So, um, I don't think like so. Like about a year ago, Natto Kinazu became very popular, and then it was the thing, and like now everybody has it. Some people, like when they do massive sales or like a promotion. And some of them still latch onto it, and they will be like a long time believer. Mm -hmm. And then, besides those people, they will create another, um, you know, uh, like trend. So uh, um, there's there's like moves made right now. I I can remember them even talking about this God, twenty years ago more, where they were going to talk about banning of vitamins, right, and mm -hmm. supplements. Um, uh, there, there is like a limitation in how much you can buy. For example, um, uh, melatonin, you can only buy like certain vitamin. You can buy only one, uh, one month amount at a time. So you have to make a bar like yeah. That's that's because you can make DMT out of melatonin. Um, just just <laughs> you can also melatonin um, can be used as, a, right. as an enhancement for a treatment. <laughs> COVID pneumonia. I, like I'm sure. Like, has I, I remember pneumonia, I seen melatonin. melatonin yeah, Because yeah. uh, it's antioxidants. Mm -hmm. So I, I saw in the in FLCCC protocol, melatonin mm -hmm. was. So I think it can be used for um, anti antioxidant, which is really uh, important. There are a few things I don't remember which one it was. Like a few things, it's harder to buy from Japan, or like you can buy like a melatonin. You can buy in like iHarp.com mm. from Japan. There are many supplements, medicine you can buy through the internet, and you can buy as an individual, as individual consuming like products. For example, ivermectin. I nobody will prescribe me in here but unless it's like um out of out of pocket like out of insurance coverage mm -hmm. and they it would be like maybe six six dollars or something for a week amount or a, a pill i forgot but it i can still buy from uh india through internet and uh, maybe hundred no, sorry, fifty pills is like hundred dollars or less. Mm. So uh or some cheap place probably fifty pills of the twelve milligram it was fifty dollars is the current conversion. Um I what I surprised was that it when I was trying to send that to my friends in like, you know, Europe, Austria and England and uh, Canada and uh, Australia, what I found out was they changed the law 
that I cannot even send it to them. It become like illegal substance. Mm, mm, mm. Like the country, it's okay to like, like it's not legal illegal to, I mean it's to it's legal to take all kinds of mind warping all kinds of things. Um, yeah, but compounds, they lucky bastards. Specifically, change the law mm. to block it, and even including because ivermectin was like. I thought, oh, maybe then I can still send you for your dog, right? From the vet medicine website. And they, it, you can, like, if you are, let's say, in Australia, you only if you are vets, then you can order. Mm. And that part, the making it to the, like, making it illegal, I thought that, I felt that was like a malintention. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the, we, we saw this around hydroxychloroquine and um, yes. ivermectin. Anything, mm -hmm. anything that would um, act as a uh, an impediment to the rollout of the the vaccines. And you, and again, you have to ask why. Um, the, and if they've, you can't remove from the equation right now that they've gone full swing at the euphemistic population management right yeah. they think and there's too many the reason why japan didn't have any kind of that kind of law is because we are no language speaking people mm. and not many people can listen and i mean they they cannot understand english much mm. and considering that what they needed to kill is the elderly population mm. and none of them speak or understand english mm. forget it like they don't even go to sns they just watch NHK TV show. So Japan was already very easy to control. And I think, you know, I, the problem Japan has is that it, at least like uh, North Americans or European doesn't like to be told like, oh, you're like spineless, whatever. Mm. Japanese has like a weird um, masochistic Pride in like yeah, I'm a slave for the company. And like, mm -hmm. they don't mind to be called that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they would be proud of that. Yeah, but it's it's high it's high IQ high conformity population. Conformity. Yeah. I'm not sure about IQ anymore, but yes, conformity. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, <laughs> they can still get um, people are still taking vaccines here. Um, yeah. So doctor. Doctor Nagase, surprise, surprise! Japan has like seven, seven uh, vaccine intake right now happening. Believe it or not, and then so that just happened about two weeks ago. The cam campaign of seven uh, vaccines, and some people are still taking them. And all they have to do is manipulate the elderies, and elderies are very far away from like. 50% of elderies above 65 live by themselves. So um, even if the younger generation knows about those things, they have no way to be communicated to those uh, like elderies. Well, so this is this is really interesting. This mm -hmm. is the, the complete failure of spiritual strength in Japan. Yeah. Complete failure. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and the, the reason I say it's complete failure is when you're old, you should not fear death at all. 
right? If you're old and then someone says, what's more important, your life or the life of your children, the next generation? Every single old person should be um, spiritually strong enough to say no. However, my life is not as important as the life of my children. But that that's that's what they're saying. So what yeah. what 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 is being fed to their brain is that it because uh, most of them are no longer so like afraid of uh, COVID itself. But what they're afraid of the reputation. And because their people, their peers are still half of them believing in that if I catch COVID and pass on to someone, then I am very careless person. I'm self like selfish. So mm -hmm. it's this is the way they try to like, well, I may get um side effects, but yeah. for the good good for the others, mm. I would sacrifice myself. Mm. And it's not that because, oh, I want to protect my life. Maybe mm -hmm. like a few percent of them are like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But most of them are like, well, what if I don't do it? What other mm -hmm. people think about me, right? Mm -hmm. Other things is that it, the population that it, we have now, I think, is that, so my my parents' generation born right after World War II. Mm -hmm. And their parents are mostly like second or third sons. Mm -hmm. So Japanese education puts very like a much in, like emphasize in the first son. Mm -hmm. Your first son, you will take care of this house, you will take mm -hmm. care of like your family, yeah. right? So those are the ones who went to war first. Oh. So those are one then if whomever came back, who survived to come back, if they stand for like the righteousness they're mm -hmm. the one who died mm. right so similar to like not as much as a heavy as like chinese um like a cultural revolution mm -hmm. but whomever stood up to do right things they're mm -hmm. the one who died mm. and after world war ii when like 47 city was bound down there's nothing to eat mm -hmm. if they just really honestly followed the like food was given from government mm -hmm. you die because mm. it wasn't enough food so wh mm -hmm. whoever could have been a little bit clever and then cheat on the system those are the people who survived and mm. those are the people who went to top of the company and top of the government okay so unfortunately and then they they're being fed that it oh you know Japan did so many bad things. That's why yeah, uh, yeah. we got like punished and killed. Like no, just because like even if that is true, yeah. um, like a person kills, uh, you know, <laughs> B person. That doesn't mean that a C person can kill a person, right? Yeah, that's right. So, but weird logic being brainwashed. So we mm -hmm. we are already like a result of like long time brainwash like michael young will talk about it a lot um because he stationed in japan so long and he knows mm -hmm. how much communist um influence japan already mm -hmm. have mm -hmm. so we were growing up in like war guilt information program being mm -hmm. patriotic is really bad for you mm -hmm. um, 
being selfish is really bad for you. Don't discriminate anyone. Everybody's equal. You know, like we mm -hmm. were so brainwashed that way. Mm -hmm. And because within Japan, there's not many people lie to you, steal from you. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't even dream that it somewhere in the mighty WHO people uh, will uh, give yeah, yeah. false there, information. There's not enough deception on a small scale that people um, pay attention to when people are deceiving them from outside. Yeah, I know. Correct. So, so like this was, I, I was at a, a Japanese uh, society, immunology society mm -hmm. uh, meeting. This was about a week and a half ago. Okay. And this really struck me. So immunologists mm -hmm. as a specialty within medicine, right. they are the second in line they will see it, all the side effects from the vaccine mm. all the professors mm -hmm. all the old the rojin the all these old men right, right? their phds their professors at universities uh the the president of the japanese immunology society okay. he was saying oh it's because of of Everyone took the vaccine and the miracle of the vaccine. That's why we're able to have this live meeting in person. No, but, but this is the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Either he's stupid, mm -hmm. right? Because immunologists will see the side effects, <laughs> the inflammatory, the autoimmune, mm -hmm. or he's lying. So if he's I stupid, okay, if he's stupid, yeah. why did he get to be the president of the Japanese Immunology Society? So Japan is all all about uh like who knows what like you know who who knows who right yeah, so yeah. most likely if he's on top yeah. uh it's it's about how much he brought the um like the money into the university mm -hmm. right and he's already on top he's probably mm -hmm. not even seeing the patients no, he's not even seeing the patients. But to get to be in the immunology specialty, right, right, it, it's not like general practice. You have to do years of extra training. You have to know more cell biology and microbiology than the average doctor. I doubt it. I right? doubt it. So I really doubt the it. likelihood he's stupid and he doesn't know all these side effects are from an mRNA injection is very low. I think Absolutely. he's at least smart enough to know and that. Yeah. Getting the body to produce its own antigen is the most dangerous thing you can do because it will create autoimmunity. That I, whole rule I really don't have much of a respect at power, I'm sorry to say, to mm -hmm. the Japanese uh, uh, who has even PhD. Yeah. Um, so momentarily, I worked in like famous um, uh, like Japanese medical school, um, how do you call it? Like a PhD course lab assistant. Because mm -hmm. I, when I came back to Japan, I want, I wanted to see if I would like to work with Japanese doctors. Because mm -hmm. when I was in Japan and had to interact with a Japanese doctor, they weren't great, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I was in a, like a cancer um, research laboratory. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of them went to, you know, United States, England. Um, then, but it, the reason why they're getting PhD is um, 
some of them are like very into it, but many of them usually like, oh, if I have PhD back in my name, Mm -hmm. that will enhance my status. Yeah, yeah. So they just, If you go higher up, I know. so they just wanted it to like have the name. So usually like they, they just go in to under the professor and then being told which area they need help of. It's not even their interest. Right. And they just do as a work. Um, and so during the lunch break or whatever, I'm talking to like senior, um, you know, like it's a it's a breast cancer oncologist and like so you taking the pet scan all the time and pet scan like do you recommend the patients like like um reduce the uh sugar intake because you know that will reduce the growth of the cancer cell and then most of them are like either i mean simply no or like Uh, I heard of it, but like, I don't, I, I didn't see any study. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, but the PET scan, you inject a dye, which is attached to glucose. Yeah. You put it in the glucose because you know, that's the only things that a cancer can grow with. Right. The cancer has a high uptake of glucose. Right. So why so, not restrict the glucose to restrict the cancer cell? It's very obvious, but they don't yeah. think about that. So then I, I tell them, and like, I see some light bulb switches off, yeah. but well, you know, like uh, if the patient comes to, to the hospital, they will be fed that, you know, high carbohydrate food and like, there's nothing I can do. I was like, but while they're waiting for the surgery or wondering if they're going to do, yeah. or they just needed to chemotherapy because it's very small. Yeah. Um, Like, isn't it doesn't harm anything to mm -hmm. suggest it, doesn't it? And they just get annoyed. And like, what they're eating is instant noodle every day. Mm. It, it's it's just that so kind is of Dan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I was like, oh my god, a PhD doctor and senior doctor is this level? I don't want to be in. So I yeah. didn't go into the medical. Well, area. That, that was the interesting. So at this immunology conference, mm -hmm. um, I was like, you know what? the old people, it's its useless to talk to the old people. Mm -hmm. So I talked to the younger PhD students, the master's yeah. students, PhD yeah. students, mm -hmm. and they, they all took the vaccine and they're saying, yeah, I thought I was going to die. The, the side effects were so bad, I thought I was going to die. Oh I said, okay, well, you know, then you realize, so you know enough cell biology to know mRNA reverse transcriptase. This can change your DNA, right? What kind of side effects? And they're like, like they it, learned it, it and then so now it's connected, right? Oh, that, okay, so thank you for giving them like a light bulb. <laughs> yeah, for, for the young, but, but, yeah. but what they're, they're was not gonna really speak up. awful for me is that yeah. the older professors, they've probably seen autoimmune diseases for 10, 20 years. So they know how autoimmune diseases happen. They mm -hmm. see it in patients, yeah, right? And they didn't tell their own students, hey, you know, you, you shouldn't take this vaccine. No, they pushed They're it. They're just using their students as cheap labor to do work in the lab to publish yeah. papers. 
but they won't even warn their own students of the danger. No, they first of all, they don't notice. And second of all, I mean, I have to say more than like North American doctors, hmm. Japanese doctors. So North America, you have to go finish four years college, right? Hmm. And then have to come out the top of it. And mm. then on top of it, it you've done some kind of like research on the side, like mm. uh, you do some like yeah. It's hard to other... get into medical school in North right. America. Not only like you have to be smart, but you also have to be like involved with involved with like a society, do something good, mm. and then get like a recommendation letter to get in, right? Mm -hmm. So I I see most of the North American doctors as like more round or like person mm -hmm. and they're ready to be a doctor japanese mm -hmm. doctor maybe some european too is mm. the determination happens in the high school mm. i mean to get to the good high school you have to grow up in like like doctor's house or mm -hmm. somebody who's rich mm -hmm. and then get best best score in junior high school the the parents have to be ready to send the children to the mm. medical school when they were they were in the you know i would say cruise but like by the time of junior high right mm. and then get into the high school because we don't have a skipping system mm. skipping system so in order for them to have extra time to study more is mm. that you get into the private uh high school or some kind of really top um mm -hmm. public school that it like they will finish the high school study within two years and then you have extra time to study in the next year mm -hmm. and then those are the kids who's really ever do anything like community service mm. very lucky if we, they did any sports right mm -hmm. seriously uh some of them are outliers of course but mm -hmm. and then like in order for them to get the time of study morning to night, the parent, like mom do everything for you. Mm. And your life is quite wealthy to begin with. Then you get mm. into like a, in a medical school in Japan, who's surrounded by people like you, mm. right? And then your professors like you. Mm -hmm. So they live a very isolated life, never mm. touch the normal people's life at all. Mm -hmm. And then, like then you, you go through six years, then you graduate mm -hmm. medical school. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no other study besides medical school related. Mm -hmm. And then you go two years of uh, residency, then you become a doctor. And if mm -hmm. you have like you want to go on for specialty, then you study more. Mm -hmm. But it's more like how much you're gonna get being you're gonna be liked by the professor, mm -hmm. and how much kisses you do. Mm -hmm. Is a matter, yeah. And it, like, so most of them are more like not independent thinker. Mm -hmm. It's about like all the tests is like how much you can memorize. I mean, mm -hmm. you need that of course, but mm -hmm. in Japan, if you have independent thinking, mm -hmm. you cannot finish the test within the time. There's no like, I mean, maybe recently, but it it's just started maybe a couple years, less than a decade that they will ask like open-ended question like America. Mm -hmm. So you will meet a medical doctor here. 98% of them are mm -hmm. robots. Mm -hmm. There's no like independent thinking. There is mm -hmm. no like 
I don't think none of them remember what what the author is, you know. Mm -hmm. They Yeah. they really like because many of them are like small clinic owner, and what happened is when they get like when the COVID hit, like not many people are unhealthy here, so everybody's so afraid to go to um their private clinic. Is oh, if I go there and then I can meet the other sick people, and then what if I get the COVID? So many elderly stop going. And for elders who just have to pay 10% or so, like co payment, which is come out less than 500 yen, which is like $3, right? So <laughs> they go there like once in two weeks or once in months to meet their friends. It's like their community alone, right? <laughs> so they don't have to go, you know? So they stop going. Um, The during the COVID season of 2020, the Japanese private clinic like went bankrupt, and then when they running out of money, what they offered is like, hey, if you inject them with their uh this uh, vaccines, like you get pay thirty dollars per shot, or if you do that outside of your like operation time, then we give you fifty bucks. Or if you do Saturday and Sunday, and then if you do over 100 patients, we give you bonus and then you get like $8,000. Mm. They had that in Canada too for pharmacists. Yeah. For pharmacists who got after hours, it was like $127 Yeah. if they offered vaccines. Yeah. But so, So $127, that's Ichiman, Nisen, yeah, Nanahyakuen. yeah, yeah. This is how much pharmacists, not doctors. So in Canada, they didn't pay doctors to do Right, the vaccine. so in Japanese law, like Yeah. it's prohibited to do any like injectable Hmm. besides the doctor. Hmm. So in But, Canada, it's different. The pharmacists right, right, right. So do pharmacists the injections. cannot. If there is like a permission to do it by pharmacists, yeah. Yeah. So they they got Mm -hmm. so. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but there's a question Oh yeah. that um, is directed towards Daniel. Uh, I think it's an important one. So it says, Daniel, my brothers, I think that means, uh, a nurse in Hamilton, can you talk about all the uptick in cardiac issues? He is seeing every shift, multiple cardiac codes. Are you seeing it too? How about in Japan? Well, um, I have been you know, one thing I noticed in Japan is like the entire, my entire life, I came to Japan like every couple of years, right? I don't ever remember seeing an ambulance ever in Tokyo, Thank ever, you. Thank you. right? I have. I have. And now every single day of the past almost two months I've been in Japan, Oh yeah. every day I see three to four ambulances every day. When before 2020, every time I came to Japan, I don't even remember seeing an ambulance. You're right. In Vancouver, where I live in Kitsilano, I'd hear an ambulance maybe once every two months, right? It's kind of close. It's between UBC and, and um, Vancouver General Hospital. So along Broadway, it's kind of a main route if people are going to the, the main hospital. Once in about two months, I would hear an ambulance. This past year, so 2023, four, five times a day, I would hear ambulances. same here so what happened was like uh so there is a guy who's um uh kind of track um some of the state uh, some of the 
province of Japan, like, because some places are good in tracking, like an ambulance uh, dispatcher, and some mm -hmm. places are not. So one of the good ones is, I think, Chiba City, which is not too far from Tokyo, central mm -hmm. Tokyo. And they, um, they have like 30% uptake of the ambulance. And there are like, so, so your memory is correct. Like, so it used to be if the ambulance passed, like everybody was like, open the window, like what's going on? <laughs> you know, like it was that rare, right? Yeah. And then, um, so about summer of 2021, it was like so much dispatcher was going on. It's included uh, also because so many hospital was like, um, kind of blocking the amount of the bed empty for the expected oh, COVID. COVID patients. Yeah. So patients have to go back and forth like different places and they couldn't get mm. in like five hospitals. That is true back in 2021, mm. uh, no, 2022. But uh, even with that, like it was even more than 2021. So mm. it would just keep increasing to the point like... Um, the, I never heard of EMT uh, stuff be, like collapse from the exhaustion. And I never seen, like, it, here, like, EMT job and, like, um, like firefighter job is mm -hmm. really good pay. Like, you only work mm -hmm. three days or so a week. Yeah. You get paid well. So mm -hmm. they never needed to advertise. Now I see in the train, like, advertising to recruit, like, I'm, like oh they need firefighters and ambulance paramedics yeah wow. so um and they were like you know what? they all got vaccinated too the yeah. ambulance and firefighters so they're probably off sick they can't work they're getting yeah so I, problems i i even came up to my nearby um you know, ambulance, firefighter, dispatcher place, which is at the same place. Like, hey, I'm seeing like a, a lot of ambulance coming up. This is, I'm talking about 2022. Mm -hmm. And like, is that like a lot lately? And like, I to the point I sometimes hear in like clear, like clearly a rainy day, like um, firefighter truck going out. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it's not sometimes like you guys dispatch the firefighter truck because like, you guys don't have any more like uh, ambulance ambulances. And wow. then he said yes. And I've I've seen the in I'm now living in Tokyo, but it, my my relatives live in to Kyoto and Osaka. So we were strolling uh, Osaka, some park, and there mm. is a girl who's laying flat. And then fire truck came. Mm. This is like park with a lake. There is no fire going on. Mm -hmm, so yeah. Fire truck came in and it came to rescue her to resuscitate. Mm -hmm. And he, she got carried away, but I, I'm sure she wasn't alive. But, and this was a so I'll tell you an interesting story. I was in a sauna. The big swimming pool is in Vancouver. They have saunas. <laughs> And, you know, a lot of people go to the sauna after they go swim. Mm -hmm. And oh God. Uh, I was Lord. about to go in the sauna and then everyone in the sauna was coming out of the sauna all at once and they left the doors open and all the hot air is coming out. And then I saw paramedics go inside to carry this young woman. She looked about maybe 40. 
and they were carrying her out on a stretcher. So then after the, the paramedics carry her out, then everyone goes back in the sauna. And then I think I said something about, oh, you know, I wonder if that's a vaccine injury, right? Mm -hmm. And then someone else in the sauna, she said, oh, yeah, you know, I had to take the vaccine for work. I know it was wrong. It's, it's made my health worse and blah, blah, blah. And this, this young guy looked like a university student, right? Really young, 20-something, really fit, really strong. He's like, you know, I trust my taxi driver knows how to drive. I trust an airplane pilot. He knows how to fly an airplane. So when they say it's safe, I trust that it's safe. And I said, I ha I'm a medical doctor. <laughs> also did my cell biology. And I'm telling you, it's not safe. And he didn't know what to say. But that that kind of brainwashing, yeah. um, just, it was, you know, some young people, mm -hmm. they look rebellious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then there's some the young people and like... <laughs> who, 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 you know, they're, they're, they're always the jock. Right, they're they're the captain of their sports team. They're always like following orders, follow the coach, listen to this, do this, do this. They're they're, they're very uh, <laughs> obedient, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And this guy, he looked just he just looked like that. He's like, I'm so fit, I'm tough, right? You know, I I exercise, I do exactly what my trainer says to me. I'm on the swimming team, and yeah. and he got really offended that I said, you know. In the sauna, yeah. if somebody passes out in the sauna, it's yeah. usually someone who's really old, who stayed yeah. too long, and then they yeah. got weak. Yeah, you yeah, never yeah. see a young person pass out in the sauna. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And sure. But he was very offended. But I was like, you know, I don't care. This There's so, 30 people in the sauna. Mm -hmm. They all needed me to hear me say something about you know, the pass out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what actually it, it made me happy is because I said something, yeah, yeah. someone else heard what I said. And then she was comfortable saying, you know, yeah. I was forced to take the vaccine and I hated it. This is wrong. Yeah. yeah I said, yeah. yeah, you know, I agree with you. It was wrong. I, I did the same thing to like a very polite Japanese society. So <laughs> I went to onsen, uh, but, you know, like public bus. Yeah. And then, in a countryside that I, I don't even know. Yeah. And the one elder was talking about, she finally found a doctor who take care of um, uh, vaccine injury patients and yeah. under, the, her, under his care. And yeah. I was like really surprised because many of the doctors refused to admit that it's even happening. Mm. So I turned around and was like, wow. And then like, this is becoming normal conversation. Yeah. And I just like, I wanted it to, the other people who's sitting quietly yeah. it to make it sure that's like a normal things happening and it's okay yeah. to talk about it yeah. so I just jumped into the conversation naked yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then say like oh i know like there's a my friend uncle died like right next day and then my friend is suffering from like heart issues and like oh do you know about the natto kindness do you eat the natto like mm -hmm. i I just wanted to make it into uh, so-called like common knowledge. Yeah, yeah. As long as we avoid in talking about it, oh, then mm -hmm. then we are under the control. 
so uh that what what you said it was like i'm so glad to hear it because um somebody who's a little bit more outspoken than others have to like get up and like say something yeah i'm glad to hear that other people doing it like it's still the same in canada you know in canada people still think it's taboo yeah to talk about the vaccine injury right yeah so and and there's unfortunately there's there's young narrow-minded people mm-hmm. who try and reinforce the mainstream narrative. Yeah. I think what it is is that it, Japan like if you look at the, like all the country which became very obedient and like had a draconian mm-hmm. uh, like a draconian um, control which is Japan, uh, mm-hmm. Korea and Australia and mm-hmm. New Zealand and Canada. Mm-hmm. They have those are the country somehow like uh without much of like like political effort they were because sometimes because of the um natural resource or whatever they had a money mm-hmm. they didn't have too much to worry about mm-hmm. they they never had to engage in like the politics much mm-hmm. to make the country running uh, smoothly mm-hmm. so i think we were in the like in america is because of the, a lot of corruption going on, they were a little more like watching now, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like doubtful. Yeah. Um, those are the country like when we just realize and turn around, like there are so many rules out there mm-hmm. that it we are stuck, and also we being kind of brainwashed. Um, so I have to talk about the psychology aspect of this, but if you ask anybody, are you? like a better driver than average mm-hmm. um 70 to 80 percent of people even right after they made a coxin they will answer yes mm-hmm. i think i believe my driving skill is better than average mm-hmm. right so it doesn't matter up so mm-hmm. uh, but then if you ask japanese those questions they wouldn't say so mm-hmm. however if you ask uh, most of the japanese do you think you're humble than others average mm-hmm. They said yes, right? So, but everybody has like I'm better than everybody else. So this this is the the interesting thing I noticed when I was in Las Vegas in November. Yeah, and it's a personality difference between Americans and Canadians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is somewhat like also being told so if somebody being told oh if you uh let's say your sign is a scorpion you must yeah. be fiery person right yeah, yeah. if they've been told that they mm-hmm. become that they become that so this is so, exactly the same so americans mm-hmm. they've been told that their history of their country is rebellion yeah right and they had to sacrifice lives to to become an independent country mm-hmm. and when i was in vegas you know no matter who I met, mm-hmm. I, I got the sense that if an American came to the realization what was done to them was a bioweapon and an injection that was forced on them as another bioweapon, as part two of a bioweapon, right. American, the average American yeah. is going to be like, I'm going to kill him. Right. <laughs> right. 
but because but it's denser, they were they are emasculated. Unfortunately, outside of the freedom movement, yeah, I, I get the sense, being a Canadian for all my life, that mm. most Canadians are like, "Oh, that's terrible, too bad, so sad." Yeah, but I don't do anything. Uh, if I had it's... to take another injection to keep my job, I'll still take it, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Whereas an American, they, they're they going to their gun closet and they're like, hell no, I'm not going to take another <laughs> know, injection. I'm going to kill them. Yeah. Right? No, no, but <laughs> yeah. it's that so if it... pushed to the point, mm -hmm. <laughs> look at the, Amer the average <laughs> American will do something about it. Yeah, yeah. If pushed to the point, Canadians who've been who have a different story taught to them mm -hmm. from their elementary school, your Canada was always loyal to King of the England. Your Canada is always loyal, always obedient. Yes. If pushed to the point, the average Canadian, they're still like, oh well, I'll just I'll go that. along to get along. I, yeah. I won't cause that's trouble. Japanese from yeah. What so I so I think that's included in the like social engineering like mm. it took like decades to develop japan mm. too we are the country mm. who like um who stood up when you know american and like <laughs> tried to push us into the war and like mm. oh would you like to be another slaves of the asia or like you're gonna mm. fight and mm. many of them said oh why didn't you like didn't your ancestors didn't put down the you know, like, um, no, why didn't you guys become slaves? Mm -hmm. And like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> Japanese would never do that. Um, mm -hmm. But after the World War II, so there is about seven years of the things called War Guilt Information Program. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, they, then, did, they did that heavily in Europe in it, to yeah, the Germans. That, they destroyed right, that. that. Germany is still crushed. Under the, <laughs> what they did. And so what happened was like uh they and they also were starving, right? So mm -hmm. that was relevant to what you said earlier about starvation, right? Mm -hmm. And they being told and then the all the textbook was all blocked out. Anything mm -hmm. that it, that make you proud of Japan is all blocked out. Mm -hmm. And so they change the history books. Mm -hmm. They it, it's very similar to what happened to the Iraq after after war after the you know bombing. So mm -hmm. they take over the well, they put the puppet right mm -hmm. in the Japanese government. Then they made a Japanese new constitution within a month. And uh, you know Americans and British made one, and then we just got the translation version. And they mm -hmm. really literally got gunpointed to mm -hmm. pass them. And we cannot still change them because the, the constitution said that like two-thirds of population have to vote to agree to change it. Mm -hmm. That's not gonna happen. <laughs> like none of mm -hmm. even half of them, we don't we don't go to the voting. So um so the the what the message was oh, we lost it because we didn't have material. Mm. We had a spirit, mm. we, but it, we didn't have the enough material and money. So mm. the message was like, you know, glind into our brain is that it, at least even though it's not spoken, it's like, oh, the monetary and 
material is very important. That all the things is bad. Yeah. So it really destroyed Japanese identity. I didn't even realize I was like that until I moved to America. I like I was I was, you know, like educated in the public school through elementary to high school, which they don't even teach you how to sing uh national anthem. I didn't even know the lyrics until I went I moved to Japan. Um, moved out from Japan. Oh wow. So then I was like, wow, like I was, I mean, it depends on the which, which area you go to. But the area I went was like a really uh, lift-leaning place. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's kind of like why I ended up going to America because I was like, I, I, oh, Japan is old, Japan sucks. Like I like, mm -hmm. I like American things. <laughs> yeah. I went to America, found mm -hmm. out. Oh, I guess Japan was not that bad, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, like we don't have this much of obese people, ah, uh, because we have like food culture, mm -hmm. right? And then, then I started appreciating what I had before, and then I had mm -hmm. to restudy the history, and then everything I learned was like quite opposite, you know. Or at least it has a two different side. Like, mm -hmm. I, I believe just because you know, like, let's say. Um, I, I don't mind the other country hate Japan about the World War II. I don't care. Mm -hmm. Because if British people said, uh, even for, like, let's say, what George Washington is here in, in America, mm -hmm. he's forever betray betrayer for the UK people, right? Mm -hmm. Like, if the UK people said, like, oh, I think he's a, he's a hero, then you're not, you know, British. I mean... You know, yeah, the, the Brits hate the Yanks, but the traditional Brits. But yeah, uh, yeah you know, I'm, I'm just saying that there is a two, like always different side of the story, right? Yeah. But it was weird being Japan and being Japanese. And then I survived. My language and culture survived because of my ancestor forts. Otherwise, mm. we became another Philippines mm. speaking English, right? Yeah. Um, Like, I have obligation to appreciate them. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't deny the other other people who had uh, some effect from Japan don't like us. Mm -hmm. Okay, you know. Mm -hmm. But I have obligation to thank my my ancestors. But anyhow, mm -hmm. that's off the topic. But anyhow, so after World War Two, um, this is how much America was afraid of Japan getting, um, you know, like the power again. So they made mm. sure our population is less than them. So they mm. made sure they separated Manchuria, Korea, Taiwan. So we became half of their what their populations. Oh, okay. That so, I didn't know. Yeah. So like, because, um, you know, without any natural resource, Japan fought, like, fought quite well, right? Mm -hmm. And Japan, so many people think that we, Kind of like so-called co colonize Korea and Taiwan, mm. but unlike mm. a normal colonization where you make most of them not slave but like close to slave, mm -hmm. yeah. um, Japan built uh, schools in Korea and schools in Taiwan mm. to the point that they had a like a university in each country. Mm -hmm. And mm. before Japan went to uh, Korea, they had only less than thirty uh, schools. Whole country mm -hmm. 
we built uh, a thousand. Mm. And they were complaining, like, oh, they taught us Japanese. I was like, what? well, you guys didn't have teacher and we haven't sent hours. So, mm -hmm. sorry, <laughs> you know, you guys. Right. Didn't... In order to learn, you have yeah. to have teachers. But if yeah. the teachers only speak Japanese, then you have to learn that first to learn before you <laughs> learn mathematics. Right. Yeah. But the whole point is, have you ever heard there's any, like, uh, famous university in India? Mm. For 400 years or so, they're, like, they're occupied. No, mm -hmm. there's mm -hmm. no such a schools, right? So right. We gave the them railways. Law. They should be bloody grateful. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, so, you know, that that's how, like, uh, at least back in days, Japanese didn't call it that is colony. They call it that it's merged country. So they mm. called them Japanese. Yeah. So there is some respect to it. But, um, you know, but... Uh, same as well, like... you know, this is how 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 devious the system is. I'll call it the system. Mm -hmm. So the Americans, by rebelling against colonial rule from the King of England, mm -hmm. that was the right thing. But this is how clever the system is. In the Declaration of Independence, mm -hmm. the American independence was actually sabotaged in writing. And why do I say that? Because if you break down Declaration of Independence to Latin roots, it means the declarification of independence. Mm. What the American Declaration of Independence, the first word should have been, is proclamation of independence. It's for that. the claim mm. of independence. Yeah. Now, why is that so important? Because when the first word of any document sabotages the meaning of the document, mm -hmm. then anything that is built on that document is in a way sabotaged. Mm. And I first noticed this after I read the Canadian um, Charter of uh, the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. That's supposed to be the big Canadian document that's equivalent to the, the American Bill of Rights. Mm. The very first word in the Canadian document is whereas. Whereas Canada is founded on the supremacy of God and the rule of law. Now, the problem is, in English, the word whereas, it changes the meaning. It actually makes things opposite. Really? So if, yeah. yeah, it's a complete opposite. If you look at Black's Law definition of whereas, it is a complete refutation of anything that comes after it. And if you think about it, it's true. Okay, true. If I say, I'm your friend, that means I'm your friend. Right. But if somebody says to you, whereas I'm your friend, what does that mean? It means they're not really your friend. Because whereas attaches conditions <laughs> and it's a refutation statement of past fact uh -huh. and shall not vitiate a deed in otherwise sensible now that that definition basically means it will attach conditions to anything sensible so if you attach conditions to something that's reasonable mm -hmm. then you are limiting the reasonableness or the sensible or the goodness of any system so to attach qualifications to means you 
basically limit something that's good. But if something's truly good, it shouldn't have any limits. Sure. That's the Black's Law definition of whereas. Wow. So basically the entire... I mean, how, how the... many did you have today? How many what? How many, like... <laughs> oh, I know all this. I just think a lot. That's all I do. I, think. I, I love it. You know what? Than... I want to keep hearing it, but I have to go back to my translation work. <laughs> <laughs> Please allow me to join you guys next time, too. Sure. Like, oh, well, I guess we'll, we'll be... Um, yeah, you're coming we're, to we're, Tokyo. We're stuck now here anyway, so okay. we'll, we'll okay. stream. <laughs> Um, right. I can't get out of this chair anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let, let's go outside while it's still light outside. The mm. kids need to run around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good, good. All right, nice talking to you guys. Yep. Thank you. Yep. Well, Thank you for allowing see you me next to week. join. All right, bye. Bye-bye. All right, folks, uh, you, you can hang up if you want to. I'll just wrap mm. this out. Oh, oh, hang on, dude. There was a question for you. Um, in regards <laughs> to your recent substack on mTOR gene article, can you explain how the mRNA injection and mTOR gene affects pregnant women? Uh, it looks like the mRNA injection increases transcription of line one. Uh, that was a study I read last year. I don't remember exactly which one. Increases line one reverse transcriptase, which increases the amount of mRNA that's reverse transcribed into DNA. So that's the first problem. Reverse transcriptase is already most active in the immune system and in embryogenesis. So anything that's growing that multiplies like a baby, a fetus embryo, already has high levels of reverse transcriptase. If you get an injection that amplifies that reverse transcriptase, even more mRNA is going to get changed into DNA and then you're going to have DNA alteration of the embryo. That's the first problem. mTOR is a regulatory pathway for cell proliferation. So I suspect that when mTOR signaling pathway is out of control, that is how cancer cells multiply because you have unstoppable, the cells, the cancer cells just keep multiplying until the patient dies, right? That is possible because the mTOR pathway is activated. Now, I suspect in embryology, you have to have higher than normal levels of mTOR activity because an embryo is dividing and it's going to turn into a whole new baby. So it's already going to be high to begin with. And then if you put an mRNA injection into that, that takes mTOR and it increases its activity even more. You, you're going to get all sorts of other problems. One of the problems is one that was highlighted in that um, that rat study where they gave pregnant rats uh, the mRNA injection, and the male rats had higher than normal, statistically higher than normal levels of mTOR activity during the embryo embryogenesis, and they all ended up with autism or autistic behavioral patterns. Right, so they ended up with brain damage because certain cells were proliferating more than they should. And, you know, they didn't do that study long enough to determine if there was increased cancer rates, but they definitely proved that the neurologic changes were, were deleterious. It was not good. Mm -mm. Yeah. Well, the data will get out eventually. The question is, 
how much time, well, how much people was left <laughs> to, to well, get Well, with what people that are left, I think the American lesson in history of doing something about it is it's a life or death matter. If you don't do something about the, the, all the crimes that have been committed over the past three years, then um, your, your survival or our survival is not going to not going to be very um, fruitful. Mm-hmm. This is a matter of life and death. You're going to have to fight for your life. You're going to have to fight for the lives of, of your loved ones. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, all right, bro. Let's, uh, all right. There you go. Okay. I'll, I'll wrap this up and then um, we'll get going. So, um, I just want to say thanks to those that chipped in for the stream today. Um, much appreciate everything to uh, to the Blick in the back, and uh, we'll uh, we'll make sure he gets Mackie D's today. So I want to say thank you to uh, TV. Much much appreciated. Uh, Vex Gaza, of course. Uh, more damn beans. Thank you, sir. And. Uh, Hope that baby's uh, giving you some rest and uh, gather twice. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, all right. Thanks um, for having me on. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of easy now, bro. So, you know. All right. So, yep. Um, I, I will be doing more streams uh, with Dan, obviously. And, um, you know, it's kind of serendipitous that he's popped onto the scene as he's uh as we're just about to um try to well we'll see we'll see if we can detect the prion amyloidogenic cascades in the brain um well fuck this noise let's just get it right in the brain and let's see what happens and um then we'll we'll think about what happens next all right i'm out of here take care god bless and um see you in the next one. Oh, uh, so i'll be streaming with uh johnny vedmore um tomorrow evening my time which would be i don't know early morning u.s time east coast uh afternoon in the uk and there was uh someone else that i, had, I can't remember now um anyway um uh, Hopefully going to be an interesting stream tomorrow. All right. I'm going to have here. See you in the next one. Bro, you, bro, you don't, don't know how angry I am. Just even for fucking work. You do, do not, not understand, understand our fucking first off. After you eat and then run. I will be arrested for breaking up with fucking Dempsey. Fuck all these campers. I will fuck you. You fucking camper. This is not fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I'm fucking